T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning, everybody. It is 10 o'clock straight up on a Saturday morning along with Mike Sealski, columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Glenn Mack now on a rainy, drizzly day in Philadelphia. How are you, Mike? Doing well, Glenn. How are you? <clears throat> well, I've got a cold. I'm battling a cold. You are uh, playing hurt this morning. Uh, yeah, it's hopefully just a cold. I'm going to take it. I, I, by the way, I'm working from home today. Mike's in the studio. I didn't want to come and infect everybody with what I hope is a cold. I'm going to take a COVID test this afternoon, but I think I'm okay. Anyway, but thank you for asking. Um, so much to talk about today. A couple of great guests coming up on the show. Charlie Manuel will join us at 11 o'clock. Always love to hear from the skip. And uh, uh, my pal Ray Dinger will be in at noon, and we'll talk about all nature of things with Ray. Uh, we have a lot of talk today about uh, free agency, which by all indications, things are going to start happening as soon as today, tomorrow. They actually started happening last night with Jacob deGrom going over to the Texas Rangers. Maybe that logjam will end, but because it is a football weekend, we start with the Eagles. And Mike, I will say this. It's a man. I think tomorrow is going to be a real challenge for the Philadelphia Eagles. I think the Titans obviously run the ball well. They have one of the top two or three running backs in the NFL. They stop the run. You can pass on them. They're very fast on defense. They've given up. They haven't given up more than twenty points, I think, over the course of the last eight games. Um, I, you know, I mean, everybody, uh, everybody will characterize. Oh, you're worried. What are you scared? What are you worried? <laughs> But I, I will say this, and I'm not ready to pick the game yet. I did not have the Eagles going 16-1. and I'm not sure if you did. I think tomorrow, even at home, will be a very tough test for your Eagles. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, Glenn. I think it's an interesting game for two kind of big-picture reasons, right? For the Eagles, is it is, as you said, a terrific test against a team that is uh, has been an excellent team over the last couple of years under Mike Vrabel, is regarded as one of the toughest teams in the NFL, can stop the run, can run the ball itself. You mentioned Derrick Henry. Uh, so from the Eagles' standpoint, this is a really good test. This is, okay, you're 10-1, and one, but there have been indications in the last few weeks uh, there are ways to beat you. Uh, you can run the ball and... Uh, keep that defense on the field and keep Jalen Hurts and that offense off of it, and the Titans would seem primed to be able to do that. So let's see how the Eagles handle it. 
from the Titans' standpoint, and obviously this doesn't matter much to people in the Philadelphia area, but it's interesting from the NFL, from like the big picture NFL standpoint, is that the Titans basically had a choice to make. Do we build ourselves around Derrick Henry, a running back, or do we build ourselves around A.J. Brown, a wide receiver? And lo and behold, they picked Derrick Henry, and A.J. Brown ended up coming here and has been terrific here. So I think from that standpoint, if you're like a a big-picture trends-in-the-NFL kind of person, if you like that sort of thing, this to me is an interesting game from that standpoint. Uh, Did the Titans, quote-unquote, make the right decision, and did it benefit the Eagles? And of course it did. Uh, it certainly has benefited the Eagles. There's no question about that. Whether ultimately it's the right decision for the Titans, you have to keep one and lose the other, that remains to be seen. Uh, I know you want to talk about, and we'll certainly talk to Ray uh, coming up, about how the running game has increased in the NFL to the highest level in something like half a century. It's amazing how teams are running the ball. But the other part of that is running backs don't last long. Right. Derrick Henry is 28. Um, I can look up how many carries he's got, but he's got a lot of miles on him. And we know, everybody knows, very few running backs are built for the long run. Very few running backs have careers that are productive into their 30s. So short term, hey, listen, it's a great decision for them if they get to the Super Bowl, if they get to the AFC championship game, you know, if they really advance. But for the long term, would you put your money on a running back? I wouldn't. And this is a relevant question for the Eagles because this is a decision they're going to have to make in the offseason with Miles Sanders, right? Uh, Miles Sanders is what? 26, I think. Derrick Henry is 28. 26. Uh, yeah. Um, but Ooh, but that's no. the nature of the league and the sport nah, now is that yeah, when a running mileage. back yeah, yeah, when a running back gets to that age, he starts to age. Uh, specifically in the minds and the eyes of people making decisions about what players to acquire and what players to commit to. So uh, it matters to the Eagles in that they're going to have to make some decisions once the season ends about Miles Sanders and where they're going to go with that position. But yeah, this is what the Titans have chosen. I mean, and my goodness, I mean, Derrick Henry had 303 carries in 2019. He had 378 in 2020. He has 247 already this year. That is some mileage, man. That is some pounding that guy yeah. has taken. Yeah, he's got a, his, in his career, he's got 1,648 total carries. Miles Sanders has 657. <laughs> so he's a thousand less. Yeah, because my Sanders, they've never overused him. The most carries Sanders ever had, well, is going to be this year. So this year he's already got 177. It's just too short of his career record, which he had as a rookie. Remember, he's been hurt a couple right. times in the last few years. But this year uh, we got five games to go. So say he gets 100, he's he's averaging 16 carries a game. So give him 80 more carries. He's going to get 200, 260 carries this year, which is a lot. And by the way, he's gonna he's gonna get like. 1300 yards this year mm-hmm. which is phenomenal he's he's really been terrific he's it's been his best season with the eagles by far it hasn't even uh, been close i would bet now yeah eight touchdowns no fumbles which is of course a problem for his in the past i would bet that they will not sign him to a, an extravagant top of the line deal that he's not going to get that big second contract from the eagles yeah i would probably bet that too because the position is, you can replace the position relatively easily. That's the perception, that there are only so many running backs out there now who are truly so outstanding that you would commit to them or risk committing to them over the long term. Now, Derrick Henry's one of those guys. He's six foot three. He's 247 pounds. The guy just destroys people who try to tackle him. Um, Miles Sanders isn't that. He's terrific and has been terrific this season, but he's not that. So I don't see the Eagles, you know, 
paying him to the to the extent that uh, some of the other running backs, a la Derrick Henry, maybe a Saquon Barkley, uh, might get paid. Hey, if I want to be cynical, I would say that the Eagles are giving uh, Miles Sanders so many carries because they're not particularly worried about his future after this year. There you go. I, I, I mean, I, it's the way it works, I don't th- right? It's, I, I don't I, think that's cynicism, Glenn. I think that's realism. No, it, it was, um, oh, what the hell, which movie was it? Um, uh, oh, the great football movie from back in the day. Ray and I put it in our book, but one of the players. Uh, the, um, North Dallas 40? North Dallas 40. Thank you very much. Uh, where the player says, we're not people to you. We're the equipment. The players right. are the equipment. You use it up and you, and you move on. Now, I don't want to cast aspersions on Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, Nick Sirianni, or anybody else, but that kind of the ethos is you take you get as much out of you can from a player, and then you bid him farewell and bring him back for alumni night. Yeah, that's it. And, and nowhere is that ethos, as you said, uh, truer than at the running back position just because of the punishment that these guys take and and the short shelf life that their careers have and and you can draft them virtually anywhere um you know so uh, again terrific year for miles sanders but we'll see what happens once the season ends 215-592-9494 best caller of the day as judged by our producer kyle quinn it's a $50 gift card to Shot Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Shop at their Center City or Wayne locations or visit them at shopsports.com for unique gifts for every sports fan on your list. Shot uh, is going to be bringing all of its great swag to an event. Mike and I are going to be kind of co-hosting Wednesday night a holiday uh, sports gift extravaganza at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap in Bridgeport. We'll tell you more about that later. Right, I want to tell you and get your thoughts as well on the... The things that concern me coming up for tomorrow. Look, and I and I and I do not want to be Mr. Negadelphi because I don't think I am. And we know that the Eagles have probably the best offensive line in football, and they have a quarterback who we will certainly talk about coming up, who is spectacular, and they have a great receiving core, and they have oh defensive uh, cornerbacks anyway, who may be the best in the league, and and we will get to all of those things. But I will tell you, tomorrow's game, I think, is going to be a real challenge. Um, the Eagles aren't going to go 16-1. and And here's a couple things that I just I kind of feel like I really need to see this week. We've talked regularly about the poor performance of special teams. And I've had people come up to me and say, what are you worried about special teams? Come on, if that's, if that's your biggest concern, you have no concern. But I'm telling you, Mike... They they have screwed it up so many times on special teams. The kick coverage is the second worst in the NFL. You saw against Green Bay. Yep. They're taking the ball seven yards deep in the end zone and running out to the 50. Um, alas, um, which will cost me ultimately in, the, <laughs> in, in my wallet when we go to dinner, they have absolutely no return game whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good at all. Uh, no. And, and, and I, to your point, Glenn, it – and the Green Bay game was a perfect example of this. It kills momentum, right? Like, throughout that Packers game, the Eagles really couldn't pull away from the Packers, in part because every time they scored, the, they being the Eagles, scored and kicked the ball off to the Packers, the Packers would bring it out to the 30, the 35, the 40, rip off a 50-yard return, and all of a sudden your defense is going back out there and the ball's at the Packers 48 or the Eagles 48, and the the momentum of the game has swung back in a Green Bay's direction, and that's that's a huge factor. It's not something you can quantify, but it's there every single week. Mm-hmm. 
I I think this is the week, and we don't get to see the practices. We don't really. Nick Sirianni, who used to be the guy who would tell you so much, Mike, has has learned the head coach uh, way of doing things, and now mm-hmm. he tells you nothing. Yes, but I think Sirianni, Michael Clay, just need to adjust the special teams. I mean. They need to look at who's out there. They need to look at, I don't know who's screwing it up. I can't watch the coverage game and say, okay, this guy got out of his lane. I'm not baldy. Maybe we can ask right. Ray if he's, if he's able to take that much of a look at it. But if they, if they kick off to the Titans and Elliott puts it five yard deep in the end zone and the Titans run it out to the 30 or beyond, that's just unacceptable. These thing, this, this has to change now. They have not yet blown a game from special teams. They're lucky that they haven't. Yeah. You know, Clay was asked about this on Tuesday, and one of the primary questions that came up, and I know my friend and former colleague Zach Berman, who's now at The Athletic, asked this, was about the possibility of using more starters on special teams. And Clay didn't close the door on that. He basically said it's all situational, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I think that's something they have to be open to. Because I'm not sure that the roster that they have is built to not do that anymore, right? Like, I, I don't know how much of a priority playing special teams was for Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni when they started making choices about who was going to be in the roster and who wasn't. Go right. back to teams in the in previous regimes under the Eagles, Andy Reid, Chip Kelly, their special teams units were terrific. Uh, in part because they paid a lot of attention to it. It wasn't just the coaching. Uh, so Although I wonder John about Harbaugh that. Harbaugh doesn't hurt. No, it doesn't hurt. And it and the hurt. special teams unit under under Chip was terrific too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not now, and I think they've got to start considering solutions like that. Like, can we do we have to send more regulars out there just to stop the bleeding? Yeah. So my eyes are going to be really uh, very much on that tomorrow, and also. To to go with the obvious, the run defense. Um, the run defense was outstanding after the first drive against Indianapolis two weeks ago. It was not awful last week, but it wasn't particularly good. Uh, you were facing, as we said, Derrick Henry, one of the two or three best running backs in the league. It should really help with Jordan Davis back, uh, likely back. And I want to see Davis and Sue and Linville Joseph in a rotation and you know, some Fletcher Cox for what he's got left, but you can't, as you as you talked earlier about how much the running game is now becoming uh, a key focus of teams, and particularly Tennessee, you can't be giving up 150 rushing yards tomorrow. No, you can't. And, and what's interesting about Tennessee to me, Glenn, is if, that if you look at the numbers, they are by the numbers as a team, a mediocre running team. They're 17th in the league in rushing yards total. They're 22nd in yards per attempt. It's not like they're gashing people, right? But because everybody knows that the Titans are so committed to it and because Derrick Henry is back there, uh, they can still be relatively productive. You know, Henry averages more than four yards a carry and he's punishing people every time he carries the ball. And what does it do? It opens up their passing game. You know, Ryan Tannehill's been pretty good over the last few years. They're just outside the top 10 in terms of yards per attempt throwing the ball. Uh, and, and their running game is different from the Eagles. The Eagles can gash you for big plays. You, we saw this last week. They put up 40 points in a game running the ball most of the time, well over 300 yards, you know, 330, whatever the total was, uh, one of the highest totals in their history and in NFL history. The Titans aren't like that. The Titans are going to body blow you uh, until you commit to trying to stop it fully, and then they'll try to beat you throwing the ball. 
I think that is a silver lining for the Eagles tomorrow, though, is the Titans aren't as explosive running the ball as other teams are. They haven't mm-hmm. scored. The Titans have scored more than 24 points in a game once all yeah. season. They're not an explosive offense. Doesn't mean they can't win. Doesn't mean they're not good. But they're going to be, it's it's not going to be a, oh, they're just hanging 30 points on the Eagles, 40 points on the Eagles, you know, and destroying no, no, they them. Move slow. Yeah, they, they move slow. They, 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 don't, they, they don't score much. They don't give up much. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. And one other thing, and then we'll go to the phones. Um, I think we all, the intrigue for tomorrow, and you alluded to it earlier, is what A.J. Brown is going to do against his former team. Um, we need to see him go off tomorrow. I, I want to see that revenge angle as much as he's downplayed it. Uh, no fumbles. Uh, and he he is currently on pace to break T.O.'s franchise record for receiving yards, uh, which is 1,200. Mm-hmm. He's got six touchdowns since week six, which is tied with <laughs> Christian Watson. We saw him last week Ooh. for the most for the most yeah for the most in the league since that uh, point. And um, a big game tomorrow makes him the excuse me drop the mic. A big game tomorrow makes him the first Eagles wide receiver since Jeremy Macklin. With a thousand yards, it is the it's kind of the the story that you'll see them promote when the game comes on TV. And I'm telling you, I think it is the story. It's the one I want to see. Yeah, it is uh, because as I said earlier, the Titans really did choose to pay Derrick Henry and not choose to pay AJ Brown. And after last week's game, when AJ struggled, you know he had the the second fumble in two weeks. Uh, a lot of people were waiting to talk to him after the game, and and I asked him specifically about facing the Titans. And you could tell from talking to him that there was a little bit of edge. And there kind of always has been. He f- he felt like uh, the Titans should have committed to him, that this was the team that drafted him in the second round. He had produced for them. Uh, and he was very pleased in a way that the Eagles felt the way that they did about him, You know that they were willing to give him the contract, commit to him four years, $100 million. Uh, I think we're going to see a better A.J. Brown tomorrow than we've seen lately. If for no other reason, then he was sick as a dog heading into that Packers game. Yeah, he, you saw him, right? I mean, he, yeah. he had the, the bloody eye, broken yeah. eye vessel or whatever. Yeah, he spent all of Thanksgiving throwing up, and throwing up so violently, he said he lost seven pounds, wow. which makes you wonder, what was he? Su- he didn't know what he was suffering from, or if he did know, he didn't tell anyone. Yeah, undercooked turkey. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I ate the wrong sweet potatoes. Yeah. Um, but... You know, he was not, and, and in fact, he said, I asked him point blank, I said, when did you start feeling better after this illness? And he said, the middle of the second quarter of tonight's game. So wow. it wow. really it really kind of wrecked havoc on him. So I think he will be better tomorrow. And yeah, I think it's the primary storyline of this game. It's going to be, uh, and it could be a great storyline. All right, let's go to our first caller. Oh, of course, he wants to talk baseball, which we are ready to do. The first lady of Philadelphia, or Bala, anyway, our pal Linda. Hey, Linda. Hello, sweetheart. I hope you feel better. Uh, thank Mr. you. Mr. Sealski, you're the tops, baby. I love your stuff. Thanks, Linda. That's kind of you to say. Oh, I know. Aren't I a sweetie? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just in a good mood because we did not. I didn't want DeGrom and I didn't want Eflin back. Uh, so I'm thrilled because what they got paid is for, I'm telling you, it's ridiculous. Every time DeGrom sneezes, he hurts his arm. (laughs) This may be true. However, they do need to get pitching, correct? 
So. Oh, yeah. But you know what, honey, what I was thinking? What's that? And I don't know who I said it to this week because I've been talking baseball now that I can go back on the phones again with my heart. Um, why don't they go after some second-tier guys? Uh, I consider like Bassett or Heaney or one of them guys. Why do they have to go is try to get somebody that everybody else wants? There's a well, lot they, of they guys. Well, they very know they very may well, but I will tell you, Chris Bassett's going to cost a fortune. You think All so? These are, well, yeah, because, I mean, look at what, Zach, what Eflin got. Eflin got, what is it, three years, 40 mil? Yeah. Yeah, so Chris Bassett's going to get more than that. Well, I still like him. He's a groovy dude. Um, <laughs> and But I want some hitting, too. And I don't care which one they sign now. Okay, because they're all terrific. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like one of them is the best in the world, although most pundits say that Trey Turner is a perfect fit. Who yeah. the heck knows? He, I, he, likes, uh, he likes Brycey. Of course, yes, me he does. too. Yes, and Kevin um, Long. We're, we're gonna, Linda, we're going to talk about all that. Before we let you go, people always ask me, how's she doing? You know, because people know you've been through some health battles. <laughs> So while while I have you, how are you feeling? How you been? Oh, honey, if I felt any better, they'd build a monument to me on Bala Golf Course, which is attached to us, by the way. I'm well aware. I'm surprised they haven't true. built one already, Linda. I just feel wonderful. Delighted I love you. Take care. Goodbye, you handsome ham. Bye. Yeah, there you go. Was she talking to you or me with that I, one? I, I, she's clearly talking to me. No. <laughs> I was talking to Kyle. Yeah, there you go. That's it. 215-592-9494. We will talk uh, some Phillies and free agency coming up. Uh, looking forward to that. And uh, remember, best caller of the day gets a $50 gift certificate to Shy Vintage Sports where there's a story in every stitch. Shop their Center City or Wayne locations or check them out at shybesports.com for unique gifts for every sports fan on your list. Shy people are going to be part of our holiday sports gift extravaganza Wednesday evening at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap in Bridgeport. Mike and I will be there along with many others. Uh, Shy's throwback stuff is a great gift for anybody. Mike, you may be wise to go home with one of their Prism T-shirts. I wear mine all the time. Uh, I have a Prism T-shirt. Well, you do. Ha- I'm happy to grab another one. <laughs> well, there you go. Hey, coming up on the show, we will be joined at 11 o'clock by Charlie Manuel at noon by Ray Dinger. And we have time for you before and after that. Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Ready to jump that rail and start a celebration. Dubon waiting on the 12th pitch. And here it is. Swung on, popped up, shallow center, coming on Marsh on the run. He's and the Phillies, for the first time in 11 years, will head back to the postseason. They stream out of the dugout and celebrate at the pitcher's mound as the Phillies have rallied. From their slow start, and they have taken the final spot in the National League playoffs. 
right. Thank you, Scott Fransky, for that great call. Not sure what happened to Michael Bourne in the middle of that, but nonetheless, the reason I play that for you, Mike Sealski, unfortunately the name of the pitcher is not in there, but you know who was on the mound when the Phillies clinched the playoffs for the first time in 11 years. It was one Zach Eflin. Correct, and he is now a former Philly, having signed a three-year, $40 million deal with the Tampa Bay Rays, the largest deal in the history of that franchise, which is, um, I mean, you know, prices change. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would describe him as, like, exactly average. If you lined up every major league pitcher from the best to the worst, to me, right in the middle would be... Uh, Zach Eflin. See, here's the thing, Glenn. I have a little bit of a different perspective on Eflin. Uh, I view him as the greatest casualty of the Kapler, Klentak, Chris Young, who was Chris the Young, Phillies man. pitching that coach, was the guy. Yeah. that era. Yeah. Because I really liked Eflin. I liked his stuff. I liked his makeup. And it seemed that he always got set back by something that was out of his control, whether it was injuries, you know, his problems with his knees, or this cockamamie idea that Chris Young had that you take a sinker ball pitcher and you start having him throw letter-high fastballs uh, and build his entire repertoire around that and change what he's doing, and all of a sudden he's not quite as good as he used to be. And, you know, it took a while, I think, for Eflin to come back from that. And I was actually really happy to see him perform as well as he did this season. It was cool to see him on the mound there for that final moment we just played. Uh, and I think an organization like Tampa Bay is going to unlo- unlock something in Zach Eflin that would not surprise me if he turns out to be really good for them. If he can stay healthy, as yes. you mentioned. So it appears that um, the free agent market is about to burst open. And this is one of my favorite times of the year for Major League Baseball. I'm, I'm a hot stove junkie. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, Jacob deGrom leaves the Mets for the Tigers. Five-year deal, $185 million. Talk about guys who are always hurt. I, I think Texas may regret that ultimately, but you're getting you know, a guy who, when he is healthy, is great. The Mets maybe now sign Verlander. We will see. But here you are with the Phillies, um, and I want to get to the shortstop thing in a minute, but the Phillies have now lost Eflin and Gibson. Well, they haven't yet lost Gibson, but Gibson and Syndergaard are both free agents. Mm-hmm. None of them are great, but that's a lot of starts you have to replace. They are going to, as as our friend Linda from Ballas said, they are going to have to go into the market for a starting pitcher. Agreed? Yes, they are. I think the more... It's very qualified. Well, I think the more interesting question is, do they bring up one of their prospects, i.e. Andrew Painter. Yes, which, which I, is one spot. Yeah, which, you know, we're, we're talking about this in terms of they have to replace guys who just kind of eat innings and aren't great, but, you know, are a third, fourth, fifth starter. Well, Andrew Painter isn't 20 years old yet, and Dave Dombrowski does not have much hesitation in certain situations in fast-tracking young players and young pitchers, and man... You look at his numbers, you look at his stuff, you look at the way he's built. It's hard not to get a little excited about the idea that Andrew Painter's in this rotation next season. Hey, I'm I'm great with that. Um, I hope that happens. I tend not to trust 19-year-olds in all walks of life because they're 19. <laughs> <laughs> as, as somebody who's been the father of 19-year-olds, uh, be careful. Um, but wow, even he, if- he throws his kids under the bus during a radio show. 
<laughs> my, my kids turned out fine. I know. They're I know. all great now, but I'm telling you. You're, how old are your kids? 11 10, and 8. 11 and 8, yeah. yeah. Get back to me in five, I know, six years. I know. Teenagers are knuckleheads. It's just the way it works. Um, but even if that's the case, right, because you have mm-hmm. Wheeler and you have Nola and you have Ranger Suarez, and right. then even if you have Painter, you, you need six starters. So we'll see. I think they're going to go into that market. I also think starting pitchers from early indications of these two are getting – monstrous money. Oh, yeah. So take your 11-year-old and 8-year-old and put a baseball in their hand and tell them to pitch. <laughs> well, the problem is they're both right-handed, as far as I can tell. If they were lefties, I would absolutely oh, do that. there you go. Um, but, yeah, so. Your colleague, uh, Scott Lauber, uh, wrote in today's paper um, about the winter meetings start this yes. weekend, and Scott Lauber wrote that that's really a time when things do happen. He wrote, three years ago, when the baseball world last gathered in person for the winter meetings, Big-name free agents Steven Strasburg, Garrett Cole, and Anthony Rendon signed contracts in successive days for a total of $814 million. So I think we could have that spending spree. So let's bring it to the Phillies. We'll see what happens with pitching, but we all do believe that a huge priority is shortstop, um, that they'll move Stott to second base, and they'll grab one of the fr- uh, big shortstops. Mm-hmm. Uh, our pal Jason Stark wrote in The Athletic yesterday that the Phillies are going to sit down with all four of the primo shortstops. Two of them are Scott Boris clients, Carlos Correa and Xander Bogarts. They, they're not afraid of Boris. I mean, no. they're, they've dealt no. with him before. As well as Trey Turner um, and Dansby Swanson, Swanson of the Braves. Do you have an order? Do you have a preference among those? I, I, I put them one, two, three, four in my mind. I do have an order, and look, let me preface this by saying that if the Phillies were to end up with any one of these four, they would be much better for it. All four of them are terrific players. No matter who the Phillies end up with, they're going to be better off for it. Yep. Having said that, in trying to separate players of this caliber, you got to kind of really fine-tune and really get granular on what you're looking for. So I based my rankings kind of on two things. Number one... OPS, you know, how productive are they offensively? And then the other thing was, do they strike out a lot? Because this is already a lineup that has a ton of strikeouts in it, and it doesn't need another hitter, no matter how productive he might be, who doesn't put the ball in play, you know, frequently enough for what this lineup needs, I think. So my ranking is this. I think fourth best would be Dansby Swanson, just based on the numbers. Third best would be Carlos Correa, who... Strikes out about 142 times over a 162-game season. Terrific player, again, you know, high OPS, but I put him a little bit lower than I would Xander Bogarts, second, even though Bogarts is 30. 880 OPS over the last five years and only 125 strikeouts a year. And then I've got Trey Turner first. Can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. I love that it's now only 125 I know, strikeouts. I know, but that's the way the, the, the sport has changed. I think it's. I think that's going to shift with um, the some of the rule changes. But yes, that is the way it is. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then you've got Trey Turner, who I would bet most people regard as the best of the four anyway. But again, over the last five years, an 843 OPS, which is terrific. But he only averages 104 strikeouts a season. That's really, really good in today's day and age of baseball so that's kind of how i gotta break it down yeah i'm I'm pretty close i have i have turner first i think the phillies have turner first there's so many reasons that this makes sense for the phillies turner and bryce harper are great friends turner played under uh kevin long the phillies Mm -hmm. hitting coach in washington and had some very good years there uh turner's wife is from new jersey said that he wants to play in the east coast says he wants to do spring training on the in florida 
I mean, none of those things have anything to do with money, which, of course, is going to be the big issue, but I don't think the Phillies are going to shortchange him. So I have him number one, and I'm great with that. Like you, I'm good with any of the four. I I um, am a little different. I have Correa number two just because I think his combination of defense um, and offense mm-hmm. is great. I think he's he's like a gold glove guy to me, and I would love it. I've had some people give me some pushback on Correa because, they're, oh, he's a cheater. He's with the Astros. They cheat. You know what? That'll disappear the moment they sign. Yeah, we're, we're th- that whole label that doesn't seem to be affecting the Astros as a whole very much. Right. That's, <laughs> I don't really worry about that. Uh, I have Bogarts 3, really 2A, because everything you said about Bogarts is true, and offensively he may be the best of the bunch. And Dansby Swanson 4, but hey, if they got Danby Swanson and stole him from the Braves, that would not be a horrible thing. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And and you're right. They're, you're not going to miss on any of these four. This is all... You know, the tyranny of small differences here, basically. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good phrase. Well, I, I should get a job as a writer or something. Well, you had a piece earlier this week uh, on a very depressing piece on a doubleheader at the Palestra, and I think Mike from Exton wants to talk about that. Hello, Mike. Uh, Mr. Mack, now, before I start, one of my, because of your benefits, one of my Christmas donations is to Mark Zumoff's Youth Basketball. Oh, nice. It's a great listen. That's a great organization. We were really proud to be involved with them. That's terrific. Yes, number two, Mister uh, Mister Sealski. This is your number one fan. I think you remember me. I do. Mike. Um, two questions. Dad? Whatever happened to the Dave Zinkoff who introduced Brett Brown's son? Any repercussions? Oh, um, so what Mike's referring to? I did a piece a couple of weeks ago for the Enquirer about Sam Brown, who is a star high school basketball player at Lower Marion, and uh, before his first game at Lower Marion, uh, Sam was introduced, and the public address announcer at the game introduced him as the son of Sixers coach Brett Brown, and it was an indication, I mentioned that as kind of an indication of what Sam would have to deal with over his four years at Lower Marion, uh, and the story was all about Sam kind of forging his own identity and becoming his own individual while still being the son of Brett Brown. So to answer your question, Mike, I don't know what happened to the PA announcer. Uh, I don't even know who, for certain, who the PA announcer was. Horrible. Anyway, number two, uh, I look, there is no building sports-wise in the city I look forward to going to more than the Palestra. St. Joe's, my alma mater, played there Wednesday night. I walked to the building, missed the first game, but got there around 8 o'clock. I was wondering if I had the wrong date. And then I got in there, and I've been depressed at games before, but never because of what I experienced. It was just very depressing. I couldn't understand it. Well, I think a couple of things are at play there, Mike, and, and thank you so much for the call. Uh, it's always good to hear from you. Um, I think the Big Five just isn't quite what it used to be for a lot of reasons. And I think that doubleheader on Wednesday night for all the the hope about it is kind of re-inspiring uh, interest in the Big Five showed that you have a six o'clock. The doubleheader starts at six o'clock on a Wednesday night. It's raining. Uh, most kids at these universities don't. Uh, are, a lot of them anymore aren't from the city. You know, they're not growing up with the Big Five in their blood. They're not growing up uh, taking public transportation to get to the Palestra. And you know, how many Temple kids are driving from? North Broad Street to University City for this game. And uh, the programs, have, you know, the four programs other than Villanova have been in a bit of a decline over the last several years and just a lot of factors that have 
contributed to the Big Five not being what it once was. I know when uh, we talked to Ray at noon, it's one of the things he said. He he was at that doubleheader, uh, and he, he said that he read your piece and he wanted to talk about that. It is. It's a shame. I mean, things change. Times changes. Villanova has become an elite program. So the other kind of scuffling along, and traditions are great, but they may not always last forever. Uh, coming up, it's our Scheib Sports Week in Review, and Mike let me how many years 32 years ago today was one of the greatest plays in philadelphia eagles history we will relive that with you coming up 215-592-9494 follows upon us so it's that time of year again to consider replacing your old drafty windows and doors before another cold winter season rolls in now when i need a company to help me with the home projects i turn to the experts the great people at guided door and window act now receive 20 percent off all windows and doors Plus, Guide will allow you to start your project today with no money out of pocket and take up to three years to pay it off interest-free. That's once the job is expertly installed. So you'll be able to start enjoying all the benefits of new, highly energy-efficient windows and doors, including an increased comfort level of your home and lower monthly energy bills, all while taking advantage of 20% savings and having the luxury of paying off your project with 0% interest for up to 36 months. But you got to act now. Offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, it is time for This Week in Philadelphia Sports History, brought to you by Shive Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Shop there, Center City, or Wayne locations, or check them out at ShiveSports.com for unique gifts for every sports fan on your list. And as we said, Shive will be uh, will have all of its great stuff at the Holiday Sports Gift Extravaganza next Wednesday, next Wednesday Excuse me, at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap, 6.30 8.30 p.m. 3 to Calp Street in Bridgeport, one of the Conchac and Brewing Company places. Mike's going to be there with his book, Ray Dinger, Charlie Manuel T-shirts, Carl's Cards Collectibles, all kinds of great stuff. Mike, I take you back to this day 
Actually, excuse me, one day ago, December 2nd, 1990, the Eagles, 7-4 and four on the road, facing the 9-2 and two Buffalo Bills. That was in the middle of those great runs by the Bills. Eagles trail 24-9 in the second quarter, have the ball in their own five. Things are looking pretty bleak, Mr. Sealski. It was not good. They were, in fact, down 24 nothing to start that game. And then this. Big play for the Eagles. As Cunningham is back, he's being trapped. He ducks under three men. He's looking. He's rolling. He's heaving it deep downfield for Barnett, who leaps and has it at the 40, at the 35, 30, 25, 20. Barnett's going to score! Well, that's Merrill Reese, of course. That That's an all-time with, great Merrill Reese call. That's a top-five Merrill Reese call, I with think. With Stan Walters on percussion. Yeah, how about it? Hey, you know what? I want to play the, the – this is Van Miller of the Buffalo Bills. I want to play his call, too. Kyle, you, got the, you still have that one I sent you earlier? Okay, this is the call by Van Miller. I grew up listening to Van Miller of the Buffalo Bills, and his call is equally great. Let's play that one, too. And here's a big third down play for Randall Cunningham. He's going to throw it out of the end zone. And they got him in it. No, he breaks away. Looking downfield. And throws long. And let's see, a leaping catch is made at the 40-yard line by Barnett. He's down to the 10-5. A miraculous touchdown play for the Eagles. Unbelievable. All right, also a great call. Uh, I miss the days when they had uh, symphony uh, backgrounds, as they called the Eagles games. Well, we, <laughs> we don't get enough symphonies in the NFL no, anymore. No, but what's you know what strikes me about the, both of those calls? It feels like the ball is in the air for about 10 seconds. Well, it is. I mean, yeah. he throws the ball from seven yards deep in the end zone toward, I think, beyond the 50-yard line. If, if Barnett, I think, is on the bill, the, the yeah, other I think he's side like of the, on the 35 or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was an amazing play. It, it, it just it was, was an amazing play. Eagles end up losing the game, but I don't know anybody remembers that. I think everybody remembers that play, and that was Randall's great year. That was Randall's MVP year. Thirty, he threw for 3,400 plus yards, which back in those days was a lot. Thirty touchdowns and rushed, I think, for 980 yards or something like that. Um, when we have Ray later, but I'll get your sense on this. I know it is dangerous to compare skill sets of players of different ages and different eras. And Jalen Hurts is still really blossoming into what he can be. So I don't want to curse him by comparison. But I, well, I don't even. The Eagles have had so many great athletic quarterbacks over the years. I guess I'd ask you. Mike Sealski, just to kind of compare and contrast. I know you were a teenager when Randall mm-hmm. was playing, but you, we have seen Randall, McNabb, Vic, and now Jalen Hurts, four of the just most gifted quarterbacks. Um, yeah. I, I, you, you, you give me a little compare and contrast? Yeah, sure. I, to me, Randall stands out among those four. Yeah, me too. For, okay. yeah. for he, It's kind of like um, you watch the evolution of football. I go back, and and I think people who watched Randall back then were aware of this even at the time, that so much of what he was doing just came naturally to him on the field. It was improvised. It was the the old cliche around here about Buddy Ryan saying, just go give me five big plays and, and the defense will take care of the rest. And you can really see that looking back at the way Randall played. And and what you've seen in McNabb, Vic, 
and Hertz and even Wentz since then is the benefits and the effect of really good coaching on those latter quarterbacks. Uh, you look at what Michael Vick was in Atlanta, and then you see the quarterback he became for a brief period of time once Andy Reid got his hands on him. You watch that that game against Washington on Monday night or the comeback oh, against the Giants, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you see the the melding of, oh my gosh, this incredible level of skill and the, these, these array of things that he can do Plus the knowledge and the understanding of where to go with the football and when to go with it. There, when to go with it, and I think you see that with Hurts. I mean, there are things that Jalen Hurts can do on the field, particularly running the ball, that are just wow. You can't you can't teach that, can't coach it. Nick Sirianni says that all the time. But what you also see now, particularly I think with Hurts, even more than maybe a McNabb or a Vic, and certainly a Randall, is elements of leadership understanding situational football uh kind of being able to take the emotional temperature of the team and understand what the team needs in a particular moment i think in those respects jalen hurts really stands out i think hurts has the opportunity to be better than all the others because of what you said i think because hurts is hurts is just like this great football machine this great football mind with the leadership and and i I just think he's really really smart Mm -hmm. randall um, was I think you kind of alluded was a pioneer in all of this. Yes, uh, and was a was a different player. Randall was not a student of the game. Randall was a Randall was jazz. Randall was improv. Yes. Randall was yeah. you know. I'll Randall was out. bebopping and scatting on the field. Right. You know from the from the opening kickoff. Right now, if he had had better coaching when he came into the NFL, it might have been different. But mm-hmm. as you said, Buddy said go do it. So Randall just kind of improvised, and it was fun. But ultimately, they'd always lose in the in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, McNabb was an amazing talent, um, who I think changed his own game in a way that didn't benefit him over the second half of his career. Mm. I think Randall took, no, excuse me, McNabb, I think McNabb took away one of, took away his legs as a weapon. And when you look at quarterbacks today, it's, it is now the model. Yes. Now a running quarterback is what it is with Jackson and Mahomes and all, and and you know and Hurts and all of them. It's yeah, like, Josh Allen, all right, of that. Josh yeah. Allen. Oh my gosh, yes. So I think McNabb could have been that. I think McNabb could have been Josh Allen, not as good, an, uh, th- not as accurate a thrower as Josh Allen, but I think McNabb kind of could have been that if he had let himself do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Vic was 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 great. Obviously, he was greater in Atlanta than he was here. He was he was great here. Oh, for I would a while. Dis- I would disagree with you there, Glenn. I you think don't think he, he was better in Atlanta? Than he here? was a better runner, but I think he was a much better quarterback with the Eagles than he okay. ever was with the Falcons. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's interesting. I will say I will dispute one other thing with you too. Yeah. You you mentioned that uh, nobody remembers what happened the rest of that Eagles Bills game in back in 1990. I do. You do. The the Eagles the, the final score of that game was thirty to twenty three. And late in the game the Bills had the ball and Jim Kelly threw an interception. And the Eagles player who intercepted the ball was running back toward the Bills end zone and tried to lateral the football to Eric Allen. And the ball bounced away, went awry, and the Bills ended up recovering it, and the Eagles missed a chance to tie the game. Do you remember who that player was who no, intercepted I the pass? The moment. And you know why you remember that? Because you were a teenager. That's right. Right? It broke your heart. Oh, it absolutely did. I'm I'm 30-something at the time, and, you know. That player was Seth Joyner. No! Yes. Seth made a bad play? 
I cannot believe that. It scarred me for life. And oh Seth, if you're listening, I'm still dealing with the psychological <laughs> repercussions of it. Uh, let's go to John and Manny. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, John. Hey, guys. How's it going? Great. Great, John. One thing with uh, Randall, you remember back then before I get to my baseball points, uh, he had to run out of need because Buddy never put any money into that offensive line. So he was that, like That's running. true also. Great point. Great point. He was, he was running. But on baseball, I got a couple – not that big, but a couple uh, cost-effective moves the Phillies can make, so they can sign more guys. Go I would like it. to see him pick. I'd like to see him uh, with Harper out maybe for a, a month or three months. I would like to see him pick up McCutcheon, uh, pretty mm-hmm. cheap, because he can still hit left-handers. Just put him in against lefties. So let me let me disagree with you, and I'll tell you why. I think that the Phillies outfield is weakness is it's defensively terrible. Um, Marsh mm-hmm. is fine in center, but your corner outfielders are bad. I would like to also pick up a bargain outfielder, and the guy I want to pick up, and not many have agreed with me, but it's a one-year show-us contract is Cody Bellinger, who the Dodgers didn't offer contract to, whose right. offense has just fallen off the table. But he's a gold-glove center fielder, and maybe, just maybe, Kevin Long can help him rediscover it. Any okay. thoughts, John? Um, I heard he picked up. I didn't hear about that. That's a good idea, though, right, uh, Glenn. But uh, right, yeah, who's your other name? This guy, they picked up this guy, Cave. Um, uh, I think he's probably going to make the team off uh, off the uh, waiver lot list today, so he might make the team. He's on a 40-man roster right now. Jake yeah. Cave, yes. Yeah, but the other one is I would think about if you ever trade Reese. I know you guys like 30 homers, but, I mean, Derek Hall has been doing well for a while. You bring him up to play first, and – he can't hit uh, lefties, so I don't know. Maybe you could figure a way of, like, have him DH and Castellano DH. Just mix those guys up for a couple months to, you know, to miss what, uh, you know, Hoskins gives and takes away with his defense. And thanks for the call. I can't see that. I, I know it's a popular move among a lot of fans to trade Hoskins. Uh, they're not going to do that. No. I, I just don't. I don't see it. I, I don't see that either, and it's it's kind of struck me how quickly fans have – to a degree, turned on Reese Hoskins. I know, you know, he did not have a terrific World Series, but my goodness, he was—he carried them for a good bit of the the divisional series and the league championship series. He had a couple home runs, just a few, yeah. yeah. And I get he's streaky, but you look at his numbers at the end of a season, you know what you're going to get from him. Um, and I understand he's terrible defensively and all of that, but I don't know. I think I think in in total, they're better for having him. I missed the pickup of Jake Cave today, who uh, hit a lusty 213 last year, 189 the year before, 221 the year before that. He's a de- he's an organizational depth guy. Yeah, who yeah. I I think he's going to uh, learn all the fine restaurants of the Lehigh Valley. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> all right, are, coming up. Are there many of them up there? I'm not 100. percent Oh yeah, sure. oh, there's some good places. Yeah, to eat up now there are. Bethlehem's got some great places. Coming up, Charlie Manuel joins us. Always fun to talk to Charlie. We got that, and we will take your calls. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macknow. It is a rainy Saturday in the Delaware Valley. One of the great uh, pleasures we get is when we get to talk to this man, the legend, the skip, World Series champion, Charlie Manuel is with us. Charlie, how are you this morning? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you doing? I'm Glenn, but we're both good. We're both great, Charlie. Okay. Can't see you, man. (laughs) I know. I I, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm totally, yeah. 
So Charlie is involved in a terrific charitable effort. Mike, why don't you uh, set this up? So Charlie is collaborating with Hog Island Press on a series of T-shirts called Charlie Knows Best. And what the T-shirts do are kind of highlight Charlie's love of and perspectives on hitting. There's five different kind of T-shirt concepts. And the cool part about this is that $5 from every purchase of one of these shirts benefits RIP Medical Debt, which is a nonprofit that works to strengthen communities by abolishing medical debt. And uh, every $100 donated from to RIP Medical Debt relieves $10,000 worth of someone's medical debt. Wow. And that's, that's pretty amazing. And it's great that Charlie is involved with this. And it's great to have him on the show. It is. And by the way, uh, those T-shirts, Charlie's T-shirts, will be uh, on sale available this coming Wednesday, 6.30 to 8.30 at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap in Bridgeport. It's the holiday sports gift extravaganza with all kinds of great stuff. Mike's going to be there. I'm going to be there. Ray's going to be there. Uh, Mike, why don't you lead off? Oh, by the way, let me just say this. Uh, I want to tell our listeners, because of the role that Charlie plays with the Phillies now, it would be improper for us to ask him questions about the roster and free agency in the like. So we're going to move in a different direction. All right, Mike, you go ahead. Yeah, so Charlie, we're, we're a bit removed, obviously, from the Phillies' run to the World Series. And I think it's safe to say that as, ta- as talented as that team was, that run was surprising. And they were not the best team in the National League during the regular season. And then they got hot at the, at the right time, similar to what happened in 2008 with your team. You've been involved in baseball for a long time. I'm curious your thoughts on that sort of thing happening more and more in baseball, the idea of the hot team getting to the World Series or even winning the World Series, as opposed to the quote-unquote best team during the regular season. You've seen both sides of it. Is there is there one that you like better? Is it is it better to have a team come out of nowhere? It seems to happen more often recently or is it was it better back in the day when one team won the national league and one team won the american league and the the best of the regular season faced each other yeah i think uh you know i i think what the phillies did was uh fantastic and i understand exactly what happened for them and uh you know like uh i always felt like uh the phillies you know like they for the last two years they've tried a lot of players you know like in uh and I, you know, I I can't uh, go and uh, tell you all the players that they've tried, but all of a sudden, you know, like they make the managers change, and they start and they start uh, playing the the uh, their younger players who were, who had a lot of energy and they had a lot of life to them and things like that. We had these, and then we have all these veteran players over here who we sign, you know, like our star superstar players and things and. They kind of mesh together good, and they kind of grew together. And that's what actually when the season starts in spring training, and that's what baseball is all about, really. You want to come out of the uh, spring training healthy, but also ready to play and feel like that you've uh, – and when I say ready to play, that means uh, have you had enough at-bats? Have your pitchers uh, thrown enough innings and pitches and things like that? And are they healthy and whatever? And then, you know, when the season starts and you see – uh, and you start uh, trying guys, and all of a sudden uh, you you kind of hit on a combination that you like, and the energy level jumps up. And I think it uh, that's one of the things that Robbie Thompson did real good for our club when we uh, uh, put him in the manager role. I think it 
the players, you know, like got got more relaxed and everything, and they started having fun playing. And as the season went on, they kept improving. And at All Star break, I think the moves that Dave Dubowski made, you know, like definitely uh, played a part in uh, us getting in, in, in uh, you know, like having the talent to stay there. And 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 at the end, although in September, I've heard people say that, you know, like at uh, you know, like how good a baseball we were playing. Actually, before we the playoffs started, I, I felt like the last couple of weeks, you know, like uh, we were playing okay, but we weren't playing great baseball. But I looked up and seen who was in there: St. Louis and Atlanta. And uh, the teams that were in there, and I thought to myself, yeah, as far as looking at them, uh, what I knew, I felt like that we uh, had uh, a better team than St. Louis. And mm-hmm. I, feel, I felt like we had a chance, uh, definitely a chance to win. Then I looked at when we got to the Braves, and I looked at the Braves, and I, if you go back and look at their hitting and their pitching, and mostly, you know, like we were very, very close. Both teams are really close. I mean, they were – in the hitting in, in in our league, and also I think in the major leagues, we were right back to back with, with each other, and uh, figured that was close. I think that they had a little bit more athleticism than we have, but at the same time, you know, uh, I, I always felt like that we could win. And uh, then then when I we got in, and then I when I saw uh, San Diego play, I felt like doing a, a series that we definitely had a better team than San Diego. And then when we got to the World Series, I felt like the first three games that we were doing really good. And I was looking for that great pitching that I heard from Houston. And all of a sudden, you know, like yeah. after the guy threw the- <laughs> it. Then it showed up. Right. Yeah, hey, exactly. Um, all, of a sudden, all of a sudden, the guy threw the no-hitter. And all of a sudden, their bullpen showed up and their starters. Yeah, you know, like, that- uh, you, you know, uh, proved to me what people were talking about. Really. Hey. And then had a big season, really. We know. Yeah. Oh, it was great. So off of that, just a little bit, we talked about, you mentioned their pitching. Last year in Major League Baseball, batting average and OPS were like at all-time lows. Um, Offense just kind of disappeared. We'll talk about rule changes maybe during this conversation, but how come nobody can hit anymore? Is it is it the all-or-nothing approach the batters are taking, or is it more in the quality of pitching these days? You get these monsters these kids coming out of the bullpen throwing 99 miles an hour why is hitting right. dis- i asked the hitting coach the great hitting guru why is hitting disappeared i think it uh when i look at uh, and i watch hitting nowadays i think of everybody almost every hitting coach in baseball and and all the analytics people and everything like that everybody has has their own opinion about hitting and everybody knows thinks that they are hitting coach and things like that and when i watch a guy in the world series Throw the no hitter. I can sit there and I, you know, and I can be talking with guys up there who's been around just as long as I have. And when somebody's throwing velocity and they're throwing a ball up and it's getting above the hands, you can strike the guy out. And every now and then a guy will hit a home run and that even gets him in more trouble because he absolutely just got very lucky hitting that ball. And a good, a good example of that, Glenn, and I want to uh, get on it too much, but that Soto, the guy that plays for uh, uh, that, pl- that that plays for uh, San Diego now, was in Washington yeah. two mm-hmm. years ago uh, on MLB. They flashed this this uh, uh, these numbers up and showed him uh, taking 175 fastballs up above his hand, and of course he had great uh, results. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. if you if, if once the ball. Once, that's what velocity's been. It's been that way forever and ever and ever since I've been in the game. Now you got to keep you. You've got to hit straight through the high ball. You can't. 
and especially when it's high velocity, the pitcher will supply the power. All you got to do is stay strong in, in your uh, uh, in your legs and your in your approach, and be quick with your hands and let the barrel of bat meet the ball and let the rest happen. And that's and the, you know, like a good example is that uh, I forget that one year was in Cincinnati, and uh, I, I think we swept them that year, and Hamels was pitching a shutout that night, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, and they bought Chapman in the game, and Hamels asked. Uh, Hamels asked me, he said, how do I hit this guy? <laughs> and I looked over at him and I said, I said, what do you mean I hit him? I said, look, you just get, you just get kind of planted and stay, stay a little strong in your legs, but nice and easy up and, and just try to meet the baseball. Just let him supply the power. And Hamels drove the left fielder all the way back to the left center field fence and caught it right at the, kind of at the top of the wall. And Hamels was more excited about hitting the ball like that than he was throwing the shutout. <laughs> so, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie, just to, to kind of build on that, the rules are going to change next season. Shifting is going away. I, I've talked to people sure. in Major League Baseball who, who mentioned that part of the reason that hitters swing for the fences is that, well, if I hit a line drive to right field, the shortstop or the second baseman is going to be standing out there in short right field and catch the ball. So I'm better off trying to hit the ball over his head and over the fence. Do you think that taking away the shift will in time change hitters approaches at all? Uh, and we will see more balls put in play. We will see more doubles and triples. Is is this going to help? You know what? Uh, uh, going to help. Uh, it could. But at the same time, too, I look at it this way: I am uh, if if they, if baseball wants to do away with a shift, that's that's okay with me. I mean, I'm all I'm all right with that in a way. But at the same time, those guys that are pulling those baseballs and things like that, they still going to be hitting them 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 uh, ground balls that they rolled over on and things like that, and 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 they will set up the a defense that can handle that. I've seen the Yankees. Uh, when we when I was over in Cleveland, have all these big hitting teams, and they used to wire us out first to third as far as fun, fundamentally playing the game and hit, hitting a hole over at first base. And then finally, when I became a manager in the major leagues, I started shifting. I, I just bought my second baseman over father toward the uh, and 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 actually was just making sure that we got one. And most of the time, we threw the second base, but but at the same time, we even started uh, still turning double plays. Mm-hmm. And things like that, and uh, I think it's—I think it's the philosophy of the game and how people want to play. And I—I uh, I think that uh, when uh, the balls that Ryan Howard used to pull a lot, and people would complain oh, about yeah. them, they were—they were sinking fastballs down and away or out away from him, and he rolled over on them, hit on top of them. And I think that the, the hitters trying to pull the baseball, they will always do that. I think that we're going to see. Now, I'm not saying that hey, we could see see a big difference. Especially on some guys that can really handle the bat, but as far as in general, I say I say if it helps uh, hitters, that's fine. But I'm kind of lurious to see how much it's going to help. All right, Charlie Manuel is our guest. Sense? It does. Yeah, that Charlie. makes sense. Yeah, Charlie. Yeah. Sure, I I hope it's more than that. I really hope it has an impact because I I I miss doubles and triples and stolen bases right. in defense. I'm, I'm getting right. weary of game that's all right. strikeouts and walks and homers. So I, I hope it means more than that. Charlie Manuel's our guest. Right. Not that I need to say that. I think people know it. Charlie, several guys who you managed during your time here are now on the Hall of Fame ballot. 
last year's voting, Jimmy Rollins got just under 10%. Bobby Abreu got just under 9%. They're back on the ballot. Um, do they deserve more consideration? You know Abreu's impressive career stats, and obviously you know what Rollins meant to this team during its great yeah. years. Just ask you to observe on those two. Yeah, I think we definitely uh, – uh, uh, they need more consideration. I think it uh, – when you look at uh, who they are – I think we're starting to get away from the offensive uh, Hall of Fame is what uh, people talk about more in, in guys' career than how good the player actually really was. And I think it, when I think of Jimmy Rollins, I think of a guy that that uh, he was our cutoff guy. He's the guy that went out on both sides of the field, you know, like in, uh, you know, like in uh, handled the cutoff throws because he had strong arm and accurate. He was very good at that, and uh, no one ever used to talk about that. His range at shortstop was very good, and uh, he was, and he could run the bases. And not only that, you know, like I know uh, people would uh, be uh, kind of disheartened about some of the three-one fastballs that he flew, uh, hitting hit high in the air in the center field, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, too, when I think about him, and you look at his uh, what he accumulated as far as stats and stuff in the leadoff hole. I think he definitely goes there. I, 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 I really, I think Jimmy Rollins is a very talented guy, and he had a great career. I think his career really gets overlooked sometimes. Chase Utley, Chase Utley, uh, I think if you grade him out over analytics, grades him out, I think he's in because uh, what they're big on, you know, like Utley's stats, you know, like definitely stands out in that. If if, if I'm right, and, and you know, like yeah, I'm he's he's on a ballot next a year. Utley's on the right. ballot next year. Abreu is on the ballot this year. I know he, he was traded right. during your time here, but you managed him. Does he, does right. he deserve more right. consideration? Uh, Bobby Abreu, I think he should be. Uh, I think they should take really uh, interest in Bobby because the, the way the way that they pick the Hall of Fame players nowadays, I think if Bobby Abreu he stands out too. He had a big career and he was very consistent every year. And I think that he definitely and and but but now not only that, Glenn Bobby Abreu was uh, you know like whether we want to say it or not, Bobby Abreu was was he was a, a better than an average outfielder, and he mm. and he also had a had a strong arm, you know, and he was a good ball player. I mean, he was he was a, he was an elite, he was a star player in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, you got one more? Yeah, no, it's interesting, yeah. Charlie. Hearing you talk about these players, whenever I think of the Hall of Fame, I always. Um, see it as a debate sometimes between guys who had very long careers uh, who maybe accumulated a lot of stats versus maybe a player who was for a short period of time one of the best if not the best player in the game and how do you weigh those two kind of ends of the the same line so to speak you know Don Mattingly was the greatest player in baseball for like five years but it was just five years is he more deserving than somebody who was a pretty good player for 25 years I'm curious how you come down on that Baines yeah okay I I would definitely when I think of Don Mattingly I I I remember seeing Don Mattingly was playing in a minor league double-a baseball Mm. and I followed his whole career and he and he was a great player and like you said for about five years as far as the stats wise and everything he stands out but then, if we're going to go and say that, I would I would say, what about Ryan Howard? Because for about four or five yeah. years, and and you look at Ryan Howard uh, and compare him with Pluholz and the guys that was in the National League. I didn't get to see the American Leagues that year, but at the same time, too, Ryan Howard's stats 
stands out way out of, above most most guys nowadays that win an MVP. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, he, he knocked in a, from 100 to 150 runs. I mean, that's for four what four years, five years, something like that. Four for sure, I think. Yeah, he and, was, and, he was uh, incredible for the for that 05 exactly. to. Uh, a 2011 stretch. He was just incredible. Right. So, you know, I, 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 I guess that, that will always be an argument of how you look at it. I think it, that's baseball, and I think the fans and the media especially, they look at guys they think is special. I can uh, – uh, you probably got a lot more guys on the list that I like, that, that I saw play their whole career. And uh, when I see guys, the guys that go in – and I kind of compare them because because I, I love baseball. I compare them to, to to the guys that don't get in, and I and yeah, and I wonder about that. Yes, I mean I definitely have my thoughts about it, but that's my opinion. And of course, everybody, everyone else has an opinion, and the people that has you know like has the vote, you know, like they're the one that puts them in there. They are. Charlie, it is it is always such a pleasure just to hear your voice and talk baseball with you. It, it, it on a dreary December day, there's not much more fun yeah. than hearing you yeah. talk baseball. And Charlie, right. as we said, is involved uh, in this collaborative project. Charlie knows best with Hog Island T-shirts. Five dollars from every purchase benefits R.I.P. Medical Debt, a national nonprofit that helps strengthen communities by abolishing. Burdensome medical debt, every $100 donated relieves $10,000 in medical debt. These great T-shirts will be on sale this uh, coming Wednesday night at the Sports Holiday Gift Extravaganza at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap, 3 to Cap Street in Bridgeport from 630 to 830. And, um, hey, we're delighted to talk to you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna tell you something. We got some. We will have some more T-shirts coming. As far as you know, like I think we got five or six out, out right now or something. But we definitely will have some more coming. And uh, I'm uh, I'm happy because it's doing uh, good. It's going it's going well. And uh, and any way that that I could uh, be a help to someone who uh, who needs it, and especially who's gone through a lot of medical. Uh, uh, difficulties, you know, like I'm willing to do that. And I want to, I want to give back to the game that, you know, like that I love so much and things like that. And, uh, it's all good. And You're good man uh, before, yeah, before we leave, I'd, I'd like to say, I do think the Phillies are going to improve their team. I can say that. And I think it, uh, that we're going to improve our team. And, uh, some of the things that we talk about, I think that management is the one that should be, be able to uh, announce announce them or or, or make their uh, decision and and you know like and, and uh, actually get it out to the public the media. Good and things that's, coming. That's how I feel about that. Yeah, should be uh, should be a f- yeah. We're looking forward yeah. to the winter meetings. Charlie, a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much as always. Always hitting season when we're talking with Charlie. Thanks, Chuck. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, take take care. I, I just love hearing it. <laughs> It's great. It's great. Really he, you know, there, there's a much longer discussion to be had. He, he, what he was talking about hitting wise with respect to the shift was almost more aesthetic. Like Ryan Howard may get more hits if there weren't a shift because the, the second baseman wasn't playing in short right field. But in Charlie's mind, he'd still be rolling over on an outside fastball. And that's not the proper way for him to be hitting. I love that. Uh, he's, he's the best. He's nobody knows hitting better than him. Anyway, pleasure to talk to him, and uh, the the effort that he's involved in is terrific, and we're excited that we'll have the opportunity to sell some of those this coming week. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We will get you in the next segment. We'll uh, 
Oh, we got uh, what we're watching coming up. You yeah. and I watched the same uh, documentary series. We'll we see. did. We'll see if we agree on what, how much we liked it or didn't. 215-592-9494. Hey, when you bring up banking, most business people, they roll their eyes. I get it. I can tell you, though, that Meridian Bank customers, they don't feel that way. Now, sure, Meridian business bankers, they do the loan thing, and they offer guidance on making your business more successful. I've used them. But Meridian also puts on great customer events, both educational and social, and they're a super group of people to be around. If you want to put some fun in your business banking, get started at meridianbanker.com. All right, what we're watching, sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Receive 20% off all windows and doors with no money down. Up to three years to pay it off interest-free. Call Guided Door and Window today, one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. All right, go back to 1996, Pepsi versus Coke. Coke campaigns were basically, as they say in this show, selling to your grandfather with animated bears. Pepsi aiming for the new generation. They got Michael Jackson. They got Mike Tyson. They got Cindy Crawford. They're gaining ground in the Cola Wars. And then, Mike, they come up with a campaign called Pepsi Stuff, mm -hmm. wherein drinkers redeem bottle caps and labels for swag and customer. It's customer rewards program, very popular today. And Pepsi launches it with an ad. Uh, by the way, I didn't say the name of the, excuse me, the four-part documentary called, on Netflix called Pepsi Where's My Jet. Yes, kind of a play on the, the movie Dude, Where's My Car, which is memorable only because oh, the title was so dumb. I never, I never made that connection. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that's, that's what they were going probably for. probably right. There you go. Um, so, uh, Pepsi, Where's My Jet on Netflix, four-part documentary. Pepsi launches this campaign with an ad that, well, got them in some trouble. You there, Glenn? Sounds like you lost Glenn. Oh, no. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, to pick up where Glenn left off, uh, Pepsi launches this campaign where people who drink Pepsi can accumulate Pepsi points, and they can turn those points in for uh, apparel or, you know, anything they want with Pepsi on it. And uh, they launch a commercial during which, at the in the last closing seconds of the commercial, they say that if you have... 7 million Pepsi points, you can turn them in and get a Harrier jet. So the mistake that Pepsi makes is that they don't put any disclaimer, any fine print on the end of this television commercial to say, hey, this is just a joke. Well, a young man, a college student named John Leonard in Seattle decides he's going to try to get 7 million Pepsi points and get this Harrier jet. And he enlists a friend of his, a guy named Tom Todd Hoffman, who's wealthy and an investor, and the two of them had become friends because they were both into uh, extreme sports and mountain climbing, things like that. And they basically challenge Pepsi to deliver them a Harrier jet if they get to 7 million Pepsi points. And the whole situation blows up to the point where... 
It involves the the involvement of an attorney that some of you may have heard of in the last six or seven years named Michael Avenatti, who <laughs> became involved with the Trump administration and, and Stormy Daniels and all kinds of crazy things. Um, but the series itself kind of tracks this situation and what comes of it. And, you know, we're, we're hoping to get Glenn back on here in a second. Uh, yeah, working to, on it. <laughs> okay, to get to get his thoughts. My feeling was that this was supposed to be a kind of David and Goliath uh, series. You, you are supposed to root for John Leonard to kind of take down Pepsi and show the the danger and the perils of false advertising and how a billion dollar company uh, can make a mistake and be taken down by kind of a, a gadfly, a, a college kid. Uh, who is holding that company accountable for what it says. But I saw this more as an underdog story without an underdog, because to me, it's obvious that what Pepsi was saying was a joke. Uh, Yes, they messed up and not providing the fine print and the disclaimer and all that. But what it led to really was kind of a nuisance lawsuit. And so you're watching this series and you're set up to try to root for John Leonard but the fact is, I found it really hard to root for John Leonard because he just became somebody who uh, created a what became a, kind of a remarkable situation out of a nuisance lawsuit. And I didn't feel a whole lot of uh, sympathy for him. I didn't feel a whole lot of like, yeah, stick it to the man here. Like you're going after a soda company. OK, um, so uh, I give it. Two stars out of four. I think mm. it kind of misses the mark. It's cool at the beginning. I was into the series in the beginning because of the nostalgia for 90s culture. As Glenn said, you see Cindy Crawford. You see Shaquille O'Neal when he's playing for the Orlando Magic. It takes you back to that time of the loud clothes and the way that TV commercials really could have an impact on culture and the way that they drew on pop culture to sell products. And it's fun to think back to that time as someone who was in college at that time, kind of the same age John Leonard is. But in the end, I came away from this saying that this was just a goof that that turned into something way beyond that. And I didn't feel a whole lot of like rooting for John Leonard and his group of people to try to get Pepsi to give him a Harrier jet. Like, dude, you knew what they were trying to, you, you knew what they were doing. You knew this was a joke, you know, and, and you took it to the nth degree and it's a guy like John Leonard who forces companies to put that fine print in there so that they can avoid stupid lawsuits like the one he filed. So that's what I was going to say. So this kind of it seems like it sort of set the precedent for every you know major company to just be like, well, let's double check that we put this clause in this and this clause in that. Wasn't there something similar going on with like McDonald's and, and like the hot coffee where some lady spilled coffee all over herself and she was uh, she was able to sue them because it didn't say caution hot or something like that yeah so, yeah, yeah. That, i mean that was kind of a like a, a apocryphal story i wonder what the details of that were actually like whether the, she actually did have grounds but yeah that was cited as of course the coffee's hot how can you sue for hot coffee you know for mcdonald's serving you hot coffee uh but you know the the the, the sh- this show based on kind of john leonard's uh tete-a-tete with pepsi 
uh, I think it was trying to become and show something that it that it ultimately kind of fails. I, I really can't recommend that you watch the show as nostalgic as I was about it. I, I saw it on I think it was one of the top uh, one of, you know one of those top ten on Netflix things, and I was interested in in seeing what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll check that out. I think uh, we're still working on getting Glenn back. I think he's probably it's probably going to be something that we have to do. Uh, during the break. Okay. So if you want to toss it to break. Yeah, down, why don't we do that? Do we'll that. take a break. Hopefully Glenn will be able to uh, get his equipment reconfigured while he's at home. Again, I'm here in the studio. Uh, Glenn is at home in Haverford. Uh, so we'll go to a break. We'll come back and uh, we'll talk about C.J. Gardner-Johnson. We've got the Cooper Doc segment coming up. Uh, Ray Dittinger coming up at noon. This is Mike Sealski. This will hopefully be Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Hey, I'm back, actually, and fall is upon us. So it's that time of year, again, to reconsider replacing your old drafting windows and doors before another cold winter season rolls in. And when I need a company to help me with these home projects, I turn to the experts, the great people at Guided Door and Window. Act now. Receive 20% off all windows and doors, plus Guided will allow you to start your project today with no money out of pocket and take up to three years to pay it off interest-free once the job is expertly installed. So you'll be able to start enjoying all the benefits of new highly energy-efficient windows and doors, including an increased comfort level of your home and lower monthly energy bills, all while taking advantage of 20% savings and have the luxury of paying it off interest-free, 0% interest for up to 36 months. But you got to act now. Offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guided today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven. All right, I'm back. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, Glenn. You, uh, yeah. you vanished there for a minute. I'm glad you're back. Yeah, um, what, what I'm I'm talking about this this show, this documentary, and all of a sudden, like you weren't responding. I'm thinking, boy, he must have really hated it, and I realize I'm talking to myself. <laughs> anyway, my World... TV, my TV, uh, where I have the uh, the World Cup game on, just flashed that they're going through a um, a house update. So wow. everything went out, and there you go. But now we're back. Uh, real quick, I want to get to a couple of callers, but my bottom line on the show is I give it, how did you rank it? Two stars out of four. I give it three. I think okay. I liked it better than you. Okay. I, I know that you said you felt it kind of petered out at the end and a little too much Michael Avenatti for all yes. of our taste. Yes. But um, overall, I, it is whatever, two and a half hours I'm glad I invested. Okay. That's I fair. I did not, and this was the question I was asking you when I disappeared because you didn't answer. Or you probably did, but I don't know if you heard the question. I that case got a lot of attention at the time, right? And Dan Rather's calling this guy, and he's on every show and talk show and Oprah News and so on. For life, me, I don't remember at all. Do you remember it? Not even a little bit. Not at all. Do I remember that? Now, maybe yeah. it was. You know, we're at the stages of our lives at that time where it just wasn't wouldn't have registered. You know, I was in college, and and maybe I was paying attention to other things, but I had no memory of it at all fascinating case yeah yeah it is like i said i just felt like it it was i didn't have as much sympathy and viewing of john leonard as an underdog as i think that the series wanted you to 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 have yeah i got it all right uh before we go to our doctor let's fire up what happened uh in the last eagles game rogers back stepping up lets it fly and it is complete but there's a penalty flag thrown they had good pressure on Aaron Rodgers but he put it right there and there's an eagle shaken up yeah CJ Gardner Johnson appears to be in a lot of pain and he's the guy that's down on the field on about the 12 yard line Gardner Johnson puts the hit on 
but then he's the guy that ends up hurt. Well, that's Marilyn Mike, and indeed he was her. Dr. Mark Pollard joins us, our friend from Cooper Bone and Joint. Look forward to talking to them every Saturday at this time. So, Doc, um, C.J. Gardner-Johnson suffered a lacerated kidney, uh, which just sounds awful. The injury is not going to require surgery. He is expected to return this year. What surprised me is he didn't break a rib, and I didn't know that you could lacerate a kidney without being stabbed or whatever, you know, hit by your own rib. How does how does a lacerated kidney occur? Um, well, you know, you're right. The kidney is pretty well protected, um, you know, in the, the middle of your back. Um, it's kind of where it is anatomically. It's pretty much halfway sheltered by the lower edge of the rib cage, but half of it is not. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of held in place by some of the connective tissue. But if you're hit with uh, enough force in the right place, you know, the kidney can be pulled, you know, against some of its tethering tissue, or it can physically get pushed up against the rib or something like that. And that can cause, you know, a, a tear in the tissue, bruise, or, you know, some other type of injury like that, which uh, presumably is what happened uh, in this case. So, doctor, when we discuss common sports injuries, often we frame them in terms of, okay, what does the athlete have to do to rehabilitate the injury? Uh, how long is the treatment? Uh, is he working out each day in rehab and things like that? What does someone do with a lacerated kidney? Is there anything that C.J. Gardner-Johnson can do to facilitate his recovery? Um, really, it's just letting it heal. There's nothing you know specifically to do for it other than not injuring it you know any further again um you know it's just like any other you know lacerated tissue you know the the ends have to be close enough together that they can mend it mend it to themselves without you know disrupting that process you know that's how you that's how you're going to get through this most most quickly when he comes back eventually um do you is it wise to protect it after that do you expect he'll wear a flak jacket or any additional padding or it's just once it's healed it's healed yeah, I mean, I would assume that they would try to take extra precautions. Obviously, by the very na- nature of the game, you can't 100% protect it. But, um, you know, it's difficult to ascertain, you know, when there's no risk, when there's, you know, a, a lot of risk. So hopefully, you know, they would get, you know, follow-up exams and scans and try to track the progress of it and wait till it's safe and take whatever measures they can. Now, right. do- yeah, go ahead. Go, I was just going to ask, Doctor, without getting too graphic, what is... CJ dealing with right now in terms of this injury? What is it causing him? Um, well, the big thing is pain, obviously, and I think we saw that on TV the other day. Um, it can be a very painful injury. Obviously, it's, you know, it, it's a trauma. This is the kind of thing you see in, you know, car accidents and motorcycle accidents. Um, so pain first, and then, you know, the kidney is part of your urinary sy- system. And so one symptom that people often get is actually urinating blood. And so uh, in the early going, you might have dealt a little bit with that. So pain and peeing lead. Well, the <laughs> two things best avoided. I'm so glad I asked that question. Yeah, man. thanks. <laughs> Dr. Mark. Well, listen, we, we asked you answer, Dr. Mark Pollard. We always appreciate your expertise. Have a great weekend, man. All right, thanks. Appreciate you. All right, thank you very much. Yes, I, I think um, when Zach Ertz injured himself, had a similar injury a couple of years ago, it was during the playoffs, mm-hmm. I think – Ertz said he discovered the injury when, after the game, he 
he peed and it yes. came out red. So yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, that that that's got to be a scary thing. Yeah, not good. All right, let's get some callers in here. Mike from El- Elmira, New York. That's my old neck of the woods. Hey there. Get out of town. Yeah. Hey, how are you? I'm all right. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I was at that Buffalo Eagles game in 1990. Wow. And oh uh, gosh. I had seats at the five-yard line. And uh, when when Cunningham goes back to pass, everybody in that stadium could see that Bruce Smith had a clear shot and was about to decapitate him. And you can hear it on Van Miller's call when he says that, you yes. know, they got him. Yes. Well, then he, he turns around and obviously throws the pass to, to Barnett and uh, goes for a touchdown. Meanwhile, I'm the only person in the stands standing and pointing, yelling, go, 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 go. <laughs> and uh, then about a thousand Bills fans start pointing at me and calling me an a-hole. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> did, 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 they, did they pelt you with chicken wings or anything like no, that? No, they did not. Okay. But I sat down rather quickly. Uh, that's great. You know what? You saw one of the all-time highlights. Oh, it was great. It was all right. Yeah, Good stuff. I'm losing the game, but uh, yes, it was well, a great play. That too. All right, Mike. Thanks a ton. Thanks. Appreciate it. There you go. That's uh, a brave soul right there because Buffalo fans are passionate. Yeah, but they're they're but they're generally congenial. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they won't they won't break a table over you. All right. Yeah. Well, that's good. They'll do the, just do that themselves. <laughs> uh, our friend Mitchie from Center City. How are you doing, bud? Got a really good, right? Mitch. Hey, Mitch is making a, a sale in the hardware store. Mitch, yeah. are you with us? Uh, we'll put I Mitch think he's on yeah, ringing the cash register there. Yeah, so Mitch owns a hardware store mm-hmm. down uh, in South, South Philadelphia, Philly. so he gets involved. So um, I may want to play one other thing. Uh, Kyle, I think we have the sound um, of uh, John Clark with Malcolm Jenkins. We got that? Okay. So Malcolm Jenkins, our old uh, mm-hmm. friend, great Eagle safety, was on with John Clark this week on John's Takeoff podcast, which is an excellent podcast. Yes. And this was before the C.J. Johnson injury, but John kind of asks him, and I don't know if John's got uh, just kind of tongue-in-cheek, but let's play this. I think, you know, it's obviously something I would entertain, but uh, a lot of that is out of my control. So um, it's not that simple, um, not because I'm not a free agent or anything like that. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, obviously exciting times in Philly. Uh, and like you said, I'm in shape. I'm not against it, but some things had to fall in line for something like that to happen, and those things hadn't gotten in motion <laughs> at all. Okay, what John asked him is, would you be ready to come back to the Eagles if they made the call? Uh, because they have other injuries at, at safety, mm-hmm. and now and now even more so. Um, what's your take on this? My take in, is that the Eagles, I love Malcolm Jenkins. He was one of my favorite guys to cover when he was with the team. Boy, they'd have to go through some other options before calling Malcolm. I would say, uh, wouldn't you? I mean, he's just been he's yeah. been away from it for a while, and that position requires sharpness and speed. And yes. you know, he has all the intelligence to do it. But man, I would wonder about everything else. Right, and he is he is not a free agent. He's his right. rights are still owned by New Orleans, so you'd have to make a deal with them. Um, yeah, I think not. Uh, I think Malcolm was just kind of yeah, he's playing fun, around, entertaining yeah. it a little bit. I heard um, Elliot Short Park said something I actually agreed with uh, the other day. Whoa, is, mark the moment. I, <laughs> it's not always the case. I'm kidding. Which is the Eagles have so much leadership in the room currently and a very good leadership structure mm-hmm. that if you bring in a strong personality like Malcolm, who was a leader of the team a few years ago, it may – he didn't say the word friction, and I don't think he meant friction, but there's a different dynamic than if you're just bringing in a guy who, you know, like, okay, we're adding this free agent. Um, 
you're adding a strong personality and you have to be careful about the chemistry of the team. I hadn't thought about that, but it's not a bad point. Well, I, I yes, in theory. Well, good. You're going to disagree with Well, that. in practice, I don't think Malcolm is the kind of guy who, if you brought him in out of the cold, so to speak, he would be disruptive in that regard. I, I not think, disruptive. I don't think he meant uh, more like... I don't know. Just it's a different leader, and if you bring in another leader, does it just create the potential of? I don't want to. Use, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use. Confusion more than disruption. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I think you know, go back to the 2017 team, right? There was there was a ton of leadership in that room. Uh, several of the guys who were leaders on this team, guys like Jason Kelsey and Brandon Graham and Lane Johnson, were leaders on that team. And you had Malcolm, and you had Tory Smith, and Chris Long, and. Uh, you know, the conflict there in that situation, such as it was, came from the fact that the guy who was the quarterback for most of that season really wasn't the leader of the team and, and turned out to be uh, kind of the divisive force in the room. And Carson Wentz, you wouldn't have that situation here with Jalen Hurts. Uh, and I don't think that bringing in Malcolm specifically would would lead to that kind of uh, confusion and dissonance okay. and all that stuff. All right, I think Mitch may be ready. Mitch, are you with us now? Sorry, guys. It's all right. Big sale right there at the hardware yeah, store? Yeah, yeah, in the rain, yeah. you got to straighten out my wreaths out there and everything. Uh, Glenn, I hope you feel better. Um, Thank you. Boy, this this offensive line, this is just, you know, unbelievable. Johnson and Kelsey, they're, they're opening these holes and blocking. I mean, this is this is unbelievable. I mean, Lane being back, he's such a big difference. My God. It's an amazing thing. Kelsey at 34, having as great a year as he having. Johnson, yes. I saw, I, there was a stat I saw yesterday. He has not given up a sack in 800-something straight pass attempts. Wow. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It, you know what's funny, Mitch, is I was in the yeah. locker room uh, on Wednesday, and a couple of us were talking to Jordan Maialata. Yeah. And Maialata was talking about, uh, somebody asked Jordan about the fact that he had been clocked uh, his speed during the game on one play, and it was something like 17.1 miles per hour, and he was asking about, uh, he was being asked about athleticism compared to the other members of the line, and, and Mylotta said, you know, Lane is faster than I am, Kelsey at times can be faster than I am, it, the line is just, it is, I think it's the best in the NFL, those guys uh, it, it are all is, is. so smart, so athletic, uh, the Eagles are, are fortunate that they have this. I think it's the it's the primary yeah. reason they're ten and one. And you know what? I, I have to make my call. You know, I call last week. I, I like them again Sunday. It's going to be a tough game, but you know yeah. we're going to do it again. I mean, well, we they're favorites. Have... I you know, and I'm I'm not ready to make my pick. Um, yeah, I don't think they're going to go sixteen and one. I think this is a challenging game, but we we shall see, and it will this be fun. This quarterback is unbelievable. He though. is unbelievable. It, he's he is great. I you know, I think a lot of people liked him. I can't imagine anybody thought he was going to be as good as he is this fast. It's something to see. Let's sneak in one more call before the break. We got Ray Dinger coming up on the other side. Bobby in Garnet Valley's hanging in there. You want to talk about Jalen Hurts? Hey, good morning. Thank you morning. so much for taking my call. Oh yeah. I, I just want to talk just, just briefly on another fellow's call. I, I went to that same Buffalo game, and I, I, I would go travel one game a year, you know, with, with the Eagles. And uh, that was the scariest time I think I was ever at a, a, a away football game. And it wasn't the men. It was the women. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I swear to God. And I'm not a little guy by any means. But I, uh, we, walked, yeah. we walked in, and I had my Randall 
Cunningham jersey on. And the guys were asking us to come over to their, you know, what they were tailgating, asked us to, you know, have food and drinks. And I said, wow, Billy, this is unbelievable. I can't, I can't believe it. Well, that sure ended real quickly because these women behind us, they use language that truck drivers don't even think. I, I just want to say to you, Bobby and Mike, I dated those girls. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably everybody I went to high school. Well, they were—I tell you—they were—they they were sure passionate, and no, oh, yeah. there was no fights, no fights at all like that. But just, nah. just—and in fact, on my way out, a gentleman—he uh, wanted to buy my jersey for his daughter, so oh, I sold him my jersey. Yeah. Um, but I hey, give us your run. Jalen Hurts because we got to hit a break. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, do you do you think if he was a few inches taller, because McNabb? He got two bulk towards the end. He couldn't even throw a pass. He was so so much upper body strength and bulk. If 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 Hurst had like two more inches, would that affect him his running or something like that in any way, or that, or would it be beneficial to him? I, Good question. Yeah, right? I, I don't know. I think. Um... You know, you just add two inches to Jalen Hurts. I mean, maybe he can see over the line of scrimmage better, obviously. Maybe he's uh, his arm's a little bit stronger. I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think he's the, the way he's wired and the way he's built right now, is it all seems to be working okay. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything pass, now. But his long pass is he's not really always catching the guy in stride. He's got to turn back a little. You know, that split second causes a, a major you know, major factor where gets Randall is so fluent with that ball, how how far he could pass it. Yeah, but and but Randall didn't always hit guys in stride either. I think you know time can thanks Bob. You know time can can change how we look at somebody. Uh, you know, Randall was not the most accurate passer in the world. So Hertz is six one, or he's listed at six one. I think that's pretty accurate. Have him stood yeah. next to him. I think that's about right. Um, if he was taller, I mean, if it took away from his his flexibility, his you know ability to run, his speed, anything else, you wouldn't want it. But one thing that happens is he does get balls batted back. Mm-hmm. He is he is not tall in the pocket because he's not tall. So yeah, if he was six three, six four, and the same guy, it would be that much better. But yeah, hey, and, and I'll, often I'll what we got. Yeah, and and often balls getting batted down. Uh, is a function as much of the quarterback and the lanes that he has to throw and that he doesn't see to throw. You know, Drew Brees, for instance, didn't get a lot of balls oh, was, batted down. No, he was great at it. He and he was a, he was a short guy. Yep. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Coming up, our pal Ray Dinger. We're going to talk with Ray, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now on ninety four WIP. Back, he steps up, he's going to run. Run, he does. He's got the first down. He's at the 40, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, and out of bounds inside the 5. Jalen Hurts. Just amazing stuff. Uh, Jalen against Green Bay the other night. Uh, This hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank, regional presence, community touch. Meridian Bank, innovative business banking for entrepreneurial success. Delighted to be joined by my pal Ray Dinger. And, Ray, before we get into all the football business, let me just say I I watched that NFL Films portrait on you, uh, recorded it uh, when it was on the other night. It was great and posted it online and people watched it and just thought it was terrific. You came off magnificently. I don't know when it's going to run again, but I will help people try to find it. And uh, congratulations on just really a, a nice treatment that they gave you. Yeah, it really was. Um, it really was. I mean, it's, uh, 
it's proof that NFL films can make anything interesting. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, don't, and sell your shorts. don't sell yourself short, Ray. <laughs> I know I'm a tremendous slouch. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but it was, I mean, Chris Barlow, who, you know, my good friend from my years of working over there, he and I, he and I partnered on a lot of projects and he's about as good a storyteller as I've ever been around. And, you know, when he said he was going to do the piece, I knew I was in good hands and it, and it did, it turned out really great. Uh, it ran a couple times this week, uh, and it's going to run again, uh, in a couple weeks on NFL network this time. So it's going to be, it's going to be floating around. So folks will get a chance to see it, but I, I really, I, I really have to thank those guys over there because they did a beautiful job with it. Ray, what was your reaction when I assume Chris pitched the idea to you? I thought he was kidding. Um, um, he sent me an email and said we want to do a we want to do a piece about your career and your retirement, and I I thought he was joking, um, and I wrote back and you know I basically wrote back kind of a yeah right sure and no he said no we really <laughs> no, we really do, um, and look I worked there long enough uh, thirteen years that I kind of know how programming goes over there and I know. You know, I mean, they don't normally do shows about people in the media. They just don't. I mean, in, in all my time over there, we did, we did one, we did one piece about uh, Myron Cope, who's the legendary uh, writer broadcaster out in Pittsburgh, who's just a great character and just funny as can be. And so he was. I mean, his story kind of, and his personality really lend itself to a television treatment. So that made perfect sense to me. But the idea of trying to do the same thing with me was, um, I. I I said, "Well, I'm very flattered, but I don't know. Good luck trying to pull this off." But uh, but they did. It was it was it was really really good. And uh, you know, a big part of it was were the interviews. I mean, Glenn, you were you were great. Uh, Michael Barkan was terrific, and you know, my son just knocked it out of the park. I did. I never knew, I never knew that my son was such a great interview. <laughs> he was great. He was great. So anyway, people just try to watch it. All right, Ray, we saw an incredible game against the Packers from Jalen Hurts, and I know comparisons are always risky. I mean, you know, hey, we thought Rents, Rents, excuse me, was going to be a great player for a decade. Uh, but with that, I'm not going to ask you to project Jalen Hurts' career, but I'd love you to compare his skill set to some extremely talented quarterbacks the Eagles have had over the years. Randall, McNabb, Vic. You know, how does his skill set compare and contrast with, with those amazingly talented quarterbacks well i guess you almost have to look at it um through two prisms you know one being what he is now and the other one being what he can be you know because i think you're still seeing the guy grow you know i mean if you just uh again the comparison when you and i were doing the show together i talked all the time about how much growth you saw in him in college i mean the difference the difference between his alabama years and his oklahoma years just how much he developed and improved as a passer you know, and how much better he's gotten since then. Um, you know, I mean, as good as he is right now, and he's clearly in the MVP discussion, you kind of get the feeling he's almost just scratching the surface of how good he can be, which, I mean, I don't know that anybody thought that when the Eagles drafted him um, because there were enormous questions about just can he ever throw the ball well enough to be a winning quarterback in the NFL. And uh, at that time, there were leg- that was a legitimate question to ask. But through hard work, and, and i, I got to give the coaches their due, through some good coaching, I mean, he has really made strides. I mean, if you look at, uh, at his numbers uh, from last year and you compare them to this year, especially in the critical areas of, of third down uh, and red zone, I mean, much, much better. I mean, the improvement, I mean, he was, 23, he was the 23rd most efficient quarterback throwing the ball in the red zone last year. Now he's number four. 
so in one year, that kind of improvement is, is remarkable, but it's part of the reason why the Eagles are 10-1 and one right now. Ray, I have to be honest. I'm covering all these Eagles games, and I'm watching them win games, sometimes by large margins, by running the ball. And I have this vision of you sitting at home, tracking the plays, and shaking your fist in the air and saying, victory is mine with the way that they <laughs> are running the ball this season. And it's, and it's been a league-wide trend. Uh, yeah. Teams are running the ball more efficiently and in some cases more frequently than ever before. You have a team, I think I pointed this out in a column a couple of weeks ago, you have a team like the Atlanta Falcons, which doesn't have a whole lot of talent on its roster, but is able to be in contention for a bad division's title because they're running the ball so well. What do you think happened? For years we heard, you got to throw the ball to win in the NFL, and this season there seems to have been a sea change. What in your mind happened? Yeah, um, I think that there's a, a couple of things that happened. I think, it's a, I think you're right, Mike. Um, um, I think, well, you're right about a couple of things. You're right about the fact that I'm sitting home logging all this and cheering my head off. Because I think this is, <laughs> this, is, this is absolutely my school of football that they're playing in right now. I, I, I do love it. I mean, to me, it's, it's just really, it's, I mean, it's very old school, but to me it's very entertaining. I know there's some fans that just love the passing game and they, you know, they love the 40 to 38 games. And I understand there's a place for that. But there's also a place for a good 17-14 game. I mean, that's, um, and, and I think you're seeing more of those. Um, I think what you're seeing is uh, one of the great things about football is the way it evolves uh, and the way cycles, you know, cycles kind of repeat themselves. And we're kind of going back to some of that stuff. Now, I mean, it was, it was not that long ago that it was kind of a rarity for teams to play with two tight ends. You just didn't really see it. I mean, but now you do. Uh, teams are playing with two tight ends a lot, which gives you that extra blocker, which makes you better to run. You got better running quarterbacks now, and defenses aren't really set up to play against running quarterbacks because now all of a sudden you hear the phrase then. It's true. Now you got an extra blocker. Now the quarterback's in play on that play. Uh, so that makes it better. Uh, and defenses have now been constructed over the last, geez, two decades really to defend against the pass because that's what's been the big weapon. So now you've got smaller defensive linemen. Uh, you've got teams that are built around nickel and dime defenses. So linebackers, there you know, are a lot more defensive backs than linebackers on the field right now. A lot of defensive coaches, like Jonathan Gannon, like to play the conservative game. They like to play the two safeties high. They don't want to bring the safety down in the box. So it, teams are light up front. They're light in the box. It's a, it's a smaller front four. Offensive linemen are getting bigger, and they can just push people off. And you've got quarterbacks that can run, and you've got backs who can run. And teams have just decided, you know, we can actually do this now. And, we, and by doing this, we can control the clock, we can control field position, and we're not as apt to turn the ball over. And it turns out to be a winning formula. Now, that's not to say that somebody can just win a championship in the NFL now by running it 50 times a game and with a guy that can't throw. You're going to have to throw it some. But what you're seeing now is teams have realized that yeah, you can win in the NFL. It can be an effective strategy, and more teams are adopting it. Ray Dinge is our guest, as uh, is obvious. Uh, everybody knows this voice, certainly at this time. Ray is going to join Mike and me and uh, Zach Berman and uh, Shibe Sports and Carl's Cards and Collectible and Charlie Manuel's company, Hog Island Press, this coming Wednesday, December 7th, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap in Bridgeport. It's the holiday gift shopping extravaganza. Ray's going to bring some of his great books. Uh, so we invite everybody to come and get your holiday shopping done early. It's 3 to Calp Street in Bridgeport on the banks of the school right over the bridge from Norristown. Ray, as we look at the Eagles now with their incredible record, 
Um, where's the competition come from? Who who are the teams in the NFC? And I guess I'd ask you to rank them that the Eagles should uh, expect to play down the road in the playoffs. Well, the, one of the big surprises of this season is the fact that it looks like some of your competition is going to come from your own division, which, I mean, nobody saw that coming at the beginning of the year. I mean, we kind of thought the NFC East was kind of going to be the NFC East that we've, that we've seen over the last few years. That, you know, there might be one team that might be able to get a game over 500, but the other two teams aren't going to be much. Uh, and now you're looking at a scenario where, I mean, I mean, you got all four teams are now playing for the postseason with a very real chance that maybe three of them could get there. Um, and so you can't look past the Giants. You can't, you, can, you can't even look past the Washington at this point, especially if they knock off the Giants tomorrow and get really into the thick of this thing. The Cowboys are always scary because they do have a lot of talent on their roster, and you've seen them this year. Um, when they're good, they can be really good, as they showed against Minnesota. Um, but the team that scares me, if I'm, if I'm an Eagles fan, the team that looking down the road, the team that scares me is San Francisco. Yeah, uh, that's what everybody's think, starting to say, huh? Yeah, they're good. They're good. I mean, I was I was just looking at some I was just looking at some tape on them this week, and uh, the thing the thing the two things are happening. Uh, their defense, which was very good at the start of the year, but was weakened with some injuries. Um, some of those guys are getting healthy. They're getting back, and they're starting to look like the defense that we thought they were going to be all year. Um, and I think either this week or next week they're going to get Arik Armstead back, which will make him even better. Uh, and on offense, you know, Christian McCaffrey is there now, and uh, um, you know, he's been with the team long enough that he's learned to play book. He's learned the system. He's got a, an injury issue right now. It's slowing him down a little bit, but not a whole lot. I suspect that he'll be ready for the postseason. And if all of that comes together and you got some of those receivers, I mean, Ayuk is a really good receiver. Sam was a really good receiver. I mean, that's, they're a, they are a very potent team. And, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, isn't, isn't a quarterback that's going to be on the covers of any magazines anytime soon. But uh, Not for his the, playing if, ability if, anyway, Ray. No, well, he could make GQ. You're yeah. right about that. Yeah, he could he could make GQ. Uh, but as far as the as far as you know, you don't think about him as one of those um, sort of franchise type quarterbacks. But if you surround him with enough good people, he can win, as he's demonstrated. I mean, he has taken a team to a Super Bowl. So they're the one team that looks to me to be. If you're an Eagles fan and you're looking down the road and you're looking at the postseason and saying, "Okay, who would I rather not have to play out of the NFC?" It would probably be the San Francisco because I think they've got the players and I think they've got a team that's constructed in such a way with that defense and that offensive line they can go on the road and win a game. So they're that they to me is the biggest threat to the Eagles. Ray, I want to shift gears a little bit. I know you were at the the double header at the Palestra uh, the other night for Temple LaSalle and St. Joe's and Penn. You're a Temple alumnus. Uh, What's your take on kind of where the Big Five is now and its its relevancy in the city, in the market, and kind of in college basketball nationally? Yeah, um, I, well, Mike, I thought I thought you really said it very well in the paper this week when when you wrote your piece the day after that uh, that doubleheader. Um, I thought it was sad, you know. I re- I really do. Um, I went there with with high hopes, you know. I, I when I saw that that when I saw that on the schedule that they were going to play this big five doubleheader um, and really invoke the memories of what the palestra kind of used to be. And you got LaSalle Temple in the first game. You got Penn St. Joe in the second game. And uh, I, I went to the game with uh, my old college buddy, Russell Peltz. Uh, and uh, we went there and we were kind of, I was, I was expecting to see the place full. Uh, I was expecting to, to get a little of the old, uh, you know, the old mojo back. 
And we walked in there. We were there about, I guess, 10 minutes before tip-off of the LaSalle LaSalle Temple game, and the place was empty. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, like empty, empty, uh, and it didn't fill up a whole lot after that. I mean, as later on in that game, as, as some of the Penn people began showing up and the St. Joe people for the second game, you began to get some more people in the building. But there was never there was never anything you would describe as electricity. There wasn't anything that evoked memories to me of what the Palestra used to be. It was just a reminder of what the Palestra is now. You know, and what the Big Five is now, and that was a shame. I, I, I really kind of was looking at that as a, as a night when maybe they could, even if it's just for one night, kind of recapture the magic. And I think the feeling that I had when I left there is that the magic is gone, and I felt really bad about that. And I thought, I thought your column kind of expressed it pretty well uh, with with that, with just the right note of, you know, hey, listen, this was a really good try, and I know it was Fran Dunphy's idea to put these two games together, and it was a great attempt to try and rekindle. The, um, the memory of what the Big Five was, but I think what you saw was kind of where the Big Five is right now, and it was really, uh, for an old-timer like me that remembers the days of the 60s and the 70s, and uh, was, it, was, it was really kind of a shame. All right, Ray, uh, nicely said, and it was a great column that Mike wrote. Thanks, guys. Uh, one of the things I miss uh, not getting to be with you every weekend is my what we're watching are all TV, and, and Mike's reviews have generally been TV as well. But, Ray, you go to the movies, Yes. And so my hunch is that you've probably seen a couple movies recently, and I would love a little Ray Dinger, what we're watching. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I did go to a movie this week. I went to see a movie called Devotion, which is um, probably is not getting a whole lot of press, but um, it's a movie about the uh, it's a story of the first uh, African-American naval aviator, uh, a guy named Jesse, uh, uh, Jesse Powers, who... Um, went through the whole program and became a Navy, naval aviator and flew uh, and uh, sadly lost his life in the, in the Korean War. But it's, uh, it's, it's good. I mean, the thing about it was one of the things I really liked about it was I thought the aerial photography scenes, the aerial combat scenes, were really good. Uh, and the, the guy, the stunt coordinator, the guy that coordinated the aerial photography is the same guy that did uh, the aerial photography for Maverick. The, uh, oh, the uh, yeah the the second the second edition of the of the Top Gun series which was anybody I, a lot of people saw Maverick and a lot of people saw the the aerial scenes in that which were pretty breathtaking uh, and it's a film it's a film named Kevin Larosa and they, they've got him to do the aerial photography here it's a little bit different because it's it's Korean War vintage so you don't have supersonic jets flying around uh, but it was again I mean the feeling of flight. Uh, and the, the the feeling of what it's like to be in a, in a dogfight and dodging anti-aircraft fire has you on the edge of your seat for sure. The photography is really good. The story the, the story is a little um, it's a little bumpy. I mean, it, it's not particularly it's not particularly artfully told. Uh, but the fact that it's true makes it pretty compelling. You understand what this guy went through. And I have to tell you that the actor who plays who plays Jesse who plays the lead is a fellow named Jonathan Majors. Um, who is, boy, is he a powerful on-screen presence. And if you don't get to see him in Devotion, uh, I saw the trailer for Creed 3, which is coming out in March, which is the third installment of the, of the uh, Creed series now. Mm-hmm. And he, plays, he played a really super good guy in Devotion, but he kind of plays the villain coming up in Creed. He becomes the opponent for Michael Jordan in Creed 3. And man, he looks really good in this. He's really good in this, but he's going to be a very different role in Creed. And 
I just saw the trailer, but I can't wait to see that one. I think that's going to be really good. Well, Ray, you mentioned Top Gun Maverick, and I have to confess, I've seen Top Gun Maverick maybe at a minimum 27 times since it came out. Um, <laughs> what, what did you think of that? I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I was, I was surprised. I, frankly, I was surprised I liked it so much. I mean, the idea of bringing the, bringing the show back and bringing Tom Cruise back all these years later seemed to me to be a stretch. I had no doubt it was going to make money mm-hmm. uh, because Tom Cruise movies do make money. And a lot of people loved Maverick. And so a lot of people loved Top Gun. So, but I kind of went back and just said, oh, let me check this out. But I, I didn't really have high hopes for it. And I wound up liking it a lot. I thought as, as a movie, it was much better than Top Gun was. I thought the story was much better. Yeah. I thought the 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 love interest uh, uh, with with uh, with he and Jennifer Connelly uh, was much more real than the one that it, with Kelly McGinnis the first time around. Mm-hmm. And even though it seemed like a stunt to me, uh, bringing Val Kilmer back, even though it was just for the one scene, it worked. It totally it, worked. It totally worked. You're exactly right. And when I knew that they were bringing him back, and I, everybody knows about his health problems and everything, that they were going to bring him back uh, in, this, uh, in this role of the admiral who kind of helps resurrect Tom Cruise's career. Uh, I just thought it was a stunt, you know. And, but the scene itself is really good. Yeah. I mean, it is really, really well done. And, and, and is a, it's one of the things that makes the movie terrific, I think. And then, of course, the aerial photography and, you know, all the stuff that happens once they get up in the air uh, is, uh, it's just breathtaking. It really is. If people, I, I, I guess you can see it on streaming and you can kind of see it on TV and, and you'll still get, I mean, you'll still get a, a good ride out of it. But boy, if you could ever see that in a, in a real movie theater or if you could better at, see it in IMAX, Man, it is. I mean, that's a movie that will really, really take your breath away. Yeah, and I would just add one quick thing. I think it will be the launching point for a couple of the young actors in it. You know, we everybody, particularly in the Philadelphia area, already knows about Miles Teller. Yeah. But you think of Monica Barbaro and Glenn Powell. I think their careers are just going to take off because I thought they were terrific in it too. Yeah, they were, and it's worth mentioning. Uh, Glenn Powell is also in Devotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glenn Powell, the actor who kind of plays a bad guy. In, in Maverick, uh, turns around and he becomes um, the wingman and best friend uh, of Jesse, the pilot in, in Devotion. And so it's, he sort of flips the role around. He's a Navy pilot, uh, but he's, in this one he's a good guy, and he's the one that uh, um, he, his, his actual character in real life wins a, wins, a, wins a Medal of Honor for his heroism in the Korean War. So Glenn Powell comes back in this, and you're right, he's quite good in it. All right, Ray, last one for me. Let's get back to football. How do you see tomorrow's game against Tennessee playing up? Challenging. Challenging. I, I think that it's going to be a tough game for the Eagles. Um, and it, it, Tennessee's a funny team. I mean, if you look at them statistically, you look at their stats, and you know, they're 29th offense, they were 21st in defense, they're 26th in points scored. I mean, they, you look at the numbers, you say, what? Yeah. <laughs> These guys don't look that good. Um, but the fact is, they're, they. They just play really good in the areas where you kind of have to play good. They're really good in the red zone. They're really good on third down. They run the ball extremely well, and they're just tough. I mean, you just watch them on tape, and they're, and they're just they're big, and they're physical, and they're tough. Uh, I mean, this, this Jeffrey Simmons guy, I don't, people don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, he hasn't been heard of very much. But in my view, he ranks among the top three, four defensive linemen in all of football. I mean, he is... 
He's not quite Aaron Donald, but he ain't far off, and he's really good. And everybody kind of knows who Derrick Henry is. And they also make no secret about what they who what they are and what they want to do. I mean, they're going to come. They're going to get off the bus running the ball tomorrow. I mean, that's 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 their. They have one playbook, and Mike Vrabel has one way to play. And so they're going to come right at the Eagles with the with the whole Washington game plan, and they're just going to keep running Derrick Henry. And it's what we're going to find out is can the Eagles stand up to it? You know, how much better are they now with getting back with getting Andomican Sue and Linville Joseph? And you're also and you're also going to uh, get back Jordan Davis, which will help. But that's what the games are really going to come down to. I mean, they're going to have I, to stop I did not run. hear a I have not unveiled my folded piece of paper. And nonetheless, I would expect a final pick from Ray. Oh, OK. Um, I think it's going to be a really close game because that's all Tennessee ever plays. Uh, the score is going to be that low, uh, but I think the Eagles will find a way to win. But I think it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough four-quarter street brawl. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say tennis. I'm going to say the Eagles win at 24-20. 24 to 20. I think we'll take that. Ray Danger, we look forward to seeing you on Wednesday, uh, 6:30 mm-hmm. to 8:30 p.m. at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap in Bridgeport. You certainly know your way there, right? You've been there a few times. I sure uh, have. Start your holiday shopping. Books by Ray, by Mike. I probably have a few copies of my old books hanging around. Zach Berman is going to be there. Swag from Scheib Vintage Sports, Carl's Cards and Collectible, and High Island Press, the charitable T-shirt company. Charlie Manuel is involved with Plus Beer. Uh, 3 DeKalb Street in Bridgeport is where Puddler's Kitchen and Tap is on the banks of the Schuylkill. Ray, we will see you then, and uh, tell Maria we appreciate uh, you letting us steal you for a little bit. <laughs> I, will tell her, I, will, I will tell her that for you, and I look forward to seeing you guys on Wednesday. See you there Wednesday, you Ray. Thanks. Right, Take Ray. care, guys. See you. Be Bye-bye. well. There you go. There you go. He's the man. Now and forever. He, he is the man. And that feature on NFL Films is uh, It's is, awesome. It's, it's outstanding. Awesome. I mean, for them to... De- uh, devote 22, 23 minutes to a guy who is a journalist is something that is rare and wonderful, and it comes across great. Yeah, and it's rare and wonderful, the relationship between Ray and the entire Philadelphia region. Yeah. That's something you don't you don't ever see. Yeah, there's a thing out of this where he's walking down the street and a bus driver stops. Yeah. And you hear Ray's like, oh, thanks. Thanks for the kind words. Thanks. They're like, you know, my, I don't know about you. I'm, I would be delighted to have a bus driver stop and tell me something other than get out of the way. I, I would be delighted to have anyone stop me and tell me anything other than get out of the way. I'll, I'll take bus drivers, grocery workers, police officers, multimillionaires, anybody. There you go. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macknow. Uh, we got time for some calls coming up. We'll make our picks, but we'd love to hear from you in the next segment. Um, Mike and Glenn. Hey, for most business people, a meeting with their banker can be like a trip to the dentist. But look to Meridian customers. Talk to Meridian customers, and you'll hear a different story. Their business lenders come at things from your point of view, and they bring a ton of useful guidance and advice, but mostly... They're a genuinely fun group. I speak from personal experience. Hey, the word is getting out. If you'd like to take the stress out of your business banking, Meridian is the go-to bank. Go to meridianbanker.com. Mike Sealski, Glenn. <laughs> you like that uh, promo, Glenn? I, I didn't write that one. Uh, 94 WIP, uh, this hour sponsored by Meridian Bank. Oh, I'm losing my voice. 
Regional presence, community touch, Meridian Bank, innovative business banking for entrepreneurial success. All right, let's uh, work in. It just sounds like I'm partnering with Kathleen Turner now instead of Glenn Macknow. Yeah, I I got a cold, and it's uh, after, whatever, two and a half hours of talking, it's it's starting to kick in. Tomorrow's pregame show. Listen, I love doing the pregame show, and I love doing it at the stadium outside in front of people, but... We will see how my voice is tomorrow. Good morning, Eagles fans. This is Glenn Mack now. I'll just go like, I take it. Okay, (laughs) so uh, let's work in the other other, uh, winter franchise. We talked about the Phillies earlier. I think we expect a lot of excitement out of that team over the course of the next week or two. Uh, When you and I get together next week, Mike, I predict they will have signed one marquee free agent. I think that's probably going to turn out to be true. I would agree with you. And maybe more. Yeah. Things are not so good for the other winter franchises. Uh, The Flyers, uh, I guess they did get one win, but they continue to lose. And there was a very good story in uh, Crossing Broad, uh, the website, or I follow it on Twitter, uh, by our pal Anthony Sanfilippo, who for my money is the best in this town at covering hockey. Kind of looking at the relationship between John Tortorella, the coach, and Chuck Fletcher, the GM. Um, curious your thought on what he what he wrote. I guess you, I'd ask you to kind of characterize what he wrote and then your thoughts about it. Sure. Well, the way Anthony, and it is a good piece, the way Anthony kind of framed this was uh, we are approaching kind of the point of no return between John Tortorella and Chuck Fletcher in terms of the direction the, the place where they see the Flyers and the direction where they think the Flyers ought to be going. Tortorella spoke the other morning uh, before the Flyers ended up losing to the Tampa Bay Lightning 4-1, to and they were completely outclassed, and they're outmanned, and that's just the way they are right now. And Tortorella said, quote, This team needs to be built from the footers. We're not even in the foundation. We're at the footer. This isn't a one-year type of thing. We've got some work to do, and it's going to take some time. Uh, no matter what people want to hear out here. And he went on and continued from there. And then a little while later, Chuck Fletcher says, I do expect us to continue to defend well, continue to compete, and be a hard team to play against. Our issue is scoring goals. Uh, We have our three, you know, with getting Travis Konechny and and James Van Riemsdyke and Cam Atkinson help. You know, and, and it was the kind of thing you hear and have heard from the Flyers for years now and can i add one thing sure because the thing that drove me the most nuts of what fletcher said and all of everything you you just mentioned was part of driving me nuts he said hey we're five points out of a wild yep. card spot like are you kidding me you're also five points out of last place Th- this what, what, is this is ahead. the problem with this organization and it's been the problem for close to two decades now which is not understanding what it takes to actually build a a franchise in the National Hockey League in a salary cap era that can be successful year after year. And Tortorella is right. They have to break this thing down to build it back up again. You can call it the process. You can call it tanking. You can call whatever you want. They've got to rebuild this thing from the ground up. And it sounds like Fletcher continually is reluctant to do that, which is what the Flyers had been reluctant to do for years before he even got here. Yeah. And yeah, I mean Hextall and Fletcher is what what we're going on a decade of wasted time with these two GMs. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that that Hextall in general had the right approach, but even he wasn't was reluctant to do a full and complete rebuild. You have to do that in the NHL. You have to. And the longer the Flyers hedge about this, the longer it's going to take them 
to build to get to that point where they can actually start winning consistently if they ever get to that point. It was interesting. One of the things that Anthony Sanfilippo wrote in this article is that Tortorella has been praising Danny Briere a lot. Yep. Danny being the assistant GM. Uh, he has not been praising Chuck Fletcher a lot, uh, which is, makes you, you know, wonder is 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 Tortorella angling for a change there? Something's got to change in the franchise, and it's not the coach. You just brought the coach in. Now he may or may not be the right coach to do a rebuild, but as you said, at least he's he's not fooling himself, and he's not lying to the fans, which I think we appreciate. He gets short-tempered with the media. That's fine. Yeah. He he. I mean, there was a big kerfuffle the other day because he wasn't going to answer certain reporters' questions and like he's not letting us do our job. Well, do your job. Go out and you know learn stuff, find stuff. Don't rely on the coach after games. But he he gets it, as you said very well, and as Anthony wrote, Tortorella sees what's real and is not trying to put a ribbon on it. Whereas. Fletcher maybe just kind of desperate to save his job is like, hey gang, we're only five points out of the last place of the playoffs. What are you kidding? Terrible. Yeah, yeah. and what what Fletcher said there has mirrored what I've heard from other people within the organization. Of oh, go back to the off season for instance. Well, if Sean Couturier comes back and Ryan Ellis comes back, and it's like, oh okay, if you're counting on that as right. we've seen since then, then you're really not in a good place at all. Yeah, you can be in eighth place. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. Okay, Sixers, bad streak, continues. Last night, lose on the road to Memphis after the, as the coach said previously, the game before that, a scheduled loss. What, they play five games in seven. Um, where do they stand now for you in the East? <sighs> they are mystifying to me in some ways. Uh, I still, as as. As terrific as Joel Embiid is and has been and can be, and I was there when he scored the 59 points. He was remarkable that night. Uh, there's still a looseness to his game that bothers me. Uh, Kyle Newbeck from from Philly Voice did a write-up of the game last night where they lost in Memphis to the Grizzlies, and he made a lot of good points about how Embiid tried to play against Stephen Adams, uh, the the Grizzly yeah. center who's very oh. smart and accomplished and tough. Yeah, but, but yeah he's muscular. Yeah, yeah he, and... Yeah. And Kyle had the line, you know, sometimes it looks like Joel is just trying to prove he's the biggest, baddest guy on the block, as opposed to just using his fundamentals and his strength to just get the better of the center he's going up against. And that's what happened last night. And I kind of feel that way, Glenn. I, I, I watch him beat, and I've used this analogy before. I think of the scene in the movie The Untouchables, where Sean Connery, oh, Sean Connery asks, going to be fun. asks Kevin Costner slash Elliot Ness, what are you prepared to do to bring down Al Capone? And I feel that way with about Embiid. I, I wish someone would ask him, like, what are you prepared to do to be at the level of a Steph Curry or a LeBron James or even a Jimmy Butler who rings every yeah, ounce of himself loved him. out of his team? Like, what are you prepared to do? Because it seems like they're still, as great as Embiid is, they're still leaving, he's still leaving stuff on the table there. And then the other thing I'd say is the bench is still not reliable. You know, Furkan Korkmaz and George Niang and Paul Reed were not good last night, and people can get fired up when those guys contribute to a win, but they're still not reliable enough to count on on a night-to-night basis. I fear at this point they're just another team. Yeah. I mean, they're a good team. You know, if you line up all 30-whatever teams in the, in the NBA, they're in the top half of it, but they're not 
Not in the top five, top six. They're, no, they're they're a second round out once again. Yeah, and and they to took right a now. right, and they took a swing to be something greater than that when they traded for Harden and signing PJ Tucker, and they kind of had to. They were in a position where they couldn't break it all down and rebuild it like the Flyers have to do. You've got Embiid, you've got Tyrese Maxey, you know, go for it. Uh, but it just doesn't seem like it's it's there with this team. Yeah. Very disappointing. I, I think we all expected more given the moves they made. And this is their team built to win now. They're not yes. a team built to win in two years. They're, it's like this is the window, and they do not appear ready to climb out of or into or however you want to say it that window. 215 592 We could sneak in a call or two before we get out. We will pick, make our picks for tomorrow's Eagles game, and we will find out from our producer, Kyle Quinn, what did we forget to talk about. Hey, fall is upon us. It's that time of year again to consider replacing your old drafty windows and doors before another cold winter season rolls in. And when I need a company to help me with those home projects, I turn to the experts, the great people at Guided Door and Window. Act now and receive 20% off all windows and doors. Plus, Guided will allow you to start your project today with no money out of pocket, and you can take up to three years to pay it off interest-free once the job is expertly installed. So you'll be able to start enjoying all the benefits of new, highly energy-efficient windows and doors, including an increased comfort level of your home and lower monthly energy bills, all while taking advantage of 20% savings and having the luxury of paying off your project with 0% interest for up to 36 months. But got to act now. Offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guided today or schedule a fr- or to schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Mike Sielski, Glenn Macnow, sponsored by Meridian Bank. Regional presence, community touch. Meridian Bank, innovative business banking for entrepreneurial success. Mike, what are your plans for the rest of the day? So this weekend, Glenn, is an annual tradition uh, for me and my family. Uh, My wife's extended family comes in from Connecticut and all over the place uh, around the country uh, for the weekend. And we all stay at my in-law's house. Uh, in Montgomery County. So I was there last night, heading back there straight from the studio to uh, get cleaned up and have food and drink. Uh, and How many How many got under that one roof? Usually it's a bigger crowd. This year we're going to have about 15 to 20, I think. Um, and, and you all sleep there? Uh, most of us do, yes. Wow. Uh, yeah. Slumber it's party. Pretty much, yeah. Last night we uh, stayed up late playing cards. Uh, my oh, eight that's year, great. My eight-year-old uh, took us all to school in blackjack. Um, and, uh, it was a lot of fun and it'll be more fun today. How about so you? Your, your kids have cousins and all that? With this uh, yes, exactly. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's it's, great. it's really cool. So what I am doing tonight, I, I have a neighbor, um, who we have a thing that we do called, Hey, try this, mm-hmm. which is he's, he's originally from India. Yeah. He's lived in the United he, States we are Facebook friends. Yeah. Okay. Raj, my neighbor, yep. Raj. And like uh, he introduces me to stuff and I introduce him to stuff. I introduced him to Jimi Hendrix, which he had never listened to before. I tried to get him to eat barbecue, which he had never had before. So tonight's is something which is weird because it's something I know, but something that I hate that he's going to try to get me to like, which is mayonnaise. Oh, we are having a mayo fest. You know, honestly, Glenn, I didn't know that there was somebody else out there in the world who hated mayonnaise as much as I did. Oh, yeah. Oh, despise it. Uh, Yeah, not a fan. Not yeah, a fan. It's, it's 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 the devil's 
I can't even say what I'm <laughs> it's too distasteful. But we do this, and then we write it up. He's, he's an aspiring writer, and so we, we do this. And so we are having a meal. It's four couples, and everything in the meal will have mayonnaise. Oh, my gosh. And he's going to try to persuade me to like any of it, which I don't think I will. I mean, I'm, egg salad? Ugh, no. salad. I'm, I'm in charge of making BLTs, which I love a BLT. Mm-hmm. I'll put it this way: my the mayo on my BLT will be tissue paper thin. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I'm exactly the same way. I mean, I like tuna salad, but I don't like it uh, very wet with mayonnaise. No, I don't. No, I don't no. put mayonnaise on a turkey hoagie. I'll put no, oil. no, 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 you no. Know, oil. Um, yeah, well, you. I hate it more than you. Then. Yeah. Anyway, so that's uh, that's what I'm doing. Is I'm eating mayonnaise much much to to my protest. Uh, all right, it is time, Mike Sielski. I hold in my hand a folded piece of paper. Mm-hmm. You hear it there, and on yep. that folded piece of paper is the exact final score of tomorrow's Eagles Titans game in South Philadelphia, Lincoln Financial Field. What do you got? I have this game is being similar to the one the Eagles played a couple of weeks ago in Indianapolis. Uh, a lot of running, as Ray said earlier, the Titans want to pound away at, at whoever they're playing, and they're certainly going to want to try to do that against the Eagles, given the struggles the Eagles have had in stopping the run. I see a low-scoring game, but I do see the Eagles pulling it out, though it'll be uh, back and forth and and a will tester, so to speak. So my final score is Eagles 20, Titans 17. Well, we're very close, but unfortunately I have it going the other way, and I hope I'm wrong. They're not going to go 16-1. This might be, as Doc Rivers says, the scheduled loss. Uh, Titans 21, Eagles 20, and this is when special teams ah. comes, th- th- comes to hurt you. This is a scheduled loss. There you go. Thank you, Doc. <laughs> all right, let us check in with our producer, Kyle Quinn. First of all, Kyle, who is our caller of the day? Well, uh, so you guys know how in some sports there's just awards that may as well be named after certain people because you could really make a case that any year that they could win it, like Bill Belichick with the Coach of the Year. I think we could make that case for Linda in ballot. <laughs> oh. and I think today is one of those days where I think we're uh, we're going to give her the award. She is such a groovy cat. She really is. <laughs> Congratulations, Linda. You win a $50 gift card to Scheib Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their Center City or Wayne locations or visit them at ScheibSports.com for unique gifts for every sportsman on your list. Kyle, what did we forget to talk about today? All right. Uh, Well, while you guys were on the air here, USA got eliminated from the World Cup pretty much before it even started for them. Yeah. Uh, wow. They cut the lead in half at 1.2-1, but immediately gave it back up. Lost to the Netherlands, 3-1. to one. USA, out. Yeah, I was trying to keep one eye on as we were doing the show, and there was, an, like, really early in the game, two minutes in the game, USA had a great chance. The goalie, the Dutch goalie from Holland or the Netherlands, that country has three distinct names. Anyway. Made a great save, and then I turned around to take a call, and when I turned back, Holland had scored. Uh, and then after that, it was just kind of kicking the ball around. Too bad, you know. Yeah. That's, I, I don't know what to say. Holland's yeah. a good team. You know, you lose to the Netherlands, and Glenn, I'm reminded of Michael Caine's great line from the Timeless American Classic, Austin Powers in Gold Member, where he said, there are only two things that I hate, people who are intolerant of other cultures and the Dutch. <laughs> Very 
Very good. Uh, what else, Kyle? Well, the only good thing I think that can come from that is now people uh, around here can pretend or stop pretending that they're really into soccer because we all know that's a lie. All right. Baseball <laughs> Hall of Fame voting is currently in progress going on this month, guys. I'm sure you've had a chance to look up and down the ballot. Is there anyone you strongly think should be in or think should not be in? Go ahead. I th- there's a there are, there are a lot of guys on the list to me, Mike, who are like almost Hall of Famers. Now, depending on how you feel about what they've done, uh, you'd have to say based on career performance, Alex Rodriguez and Manny Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez, excuse me, are Hall of Famers. Would you vote for them, Mike? <sighs> That's a really good question. Um, I'm probably coming around to the idea that you should, that I would. Okay. General um, amnesty at this point. Yeah. I'm yeah. getting there as well. Yeah. Uh, it's like and it may, the grudge. Yeah, and it may be nothing more than just the passage of time um, yep. that, that leads me there. But yeah, I, I agree. probably would. The other guy I would definitely vote for is Todd Helton, who got 52% last year um, and I think will eventually get in. Uh, I've got the list, Mike, if you don't. No, help. I do. I have okay. it up here. All right, who you got? Well, I I would vote for Helton. I would vote for Billy Wagner. I think it's criminal ah. that Billy Wagner isn't already in the Hall of Fame. Um, other than that, I I would probably cast a vote for Jimmy Rollins. I think that really, yeah. If you look at the totality of his career uh, compared to other shortstops, I think he he makes the cut. Um, I'm looking here. There's one other name that's going to get in, another former Philly that I believe will get the votes this year. Kurt Schilling? No, no. Kurt's <laughs> off the ballot. Scott no, that's right. You think, see, I... He got 63% last year. Yeah. He's grown every year. He's kind of, in a, in this year, he's kind of the lead candidate. So unless yeah. people want to vote for nobody, there's nobody new on the ballot. Carlos Beltran, but he's not going to get in. So there's really no newcomers. You Next know what? Year, Honestly, though. Glenn, I would vote for Beltran before I voted for Roland. I think okay. Beltron is another criminally underrated player who was genuinely great. And Cheating ain't going to help him. No, that's true. That that's that will keep him out at least for now. I am not a Roland guy, and I hope it. I mean, I personally dislike him, and I hope that's not the reason I'm not voting for him. I just think his he's in the hall, as they say, the hall of very good. Yeah. All right. Anything else, Kyle? Yeah, one last thing. So it was a big shakeup in the world of college football last night. The Pac-12 championship. USC lost to Utah. This pretty much opens the door for teams like Ohio State and possibly even Alabama to slip uh, back into the college football playoffs, guys. Mike, I leave this one to you. Well, we're not going to have this problem once they expand the playoff, uh, trying to narrow it down to four teams that are going to make it. Look, it's it's a ratings bonanza no matter who makes it. Um, I'm sure college football would love to have Ohio State. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.